my whole team was just because it hasn't been done before it doesn't mean that it can't be done now so I was very strong Will gave me the platform to to put a map in place of how I could actually do it subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts OTB AM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night Edition available now good morning and very welcome to OTB AM on a Wednesday. We're doing the natural laugh at the start of the show. <laughs> Who does that? Do the newsreaders like read, read the, pretend to like look, be on their laptop at the end of the show? That's that's our laugh at the start of the show. It's a real American thing, isn't it? It's a Colin Buhig thing. It's, that's why we're laughing at the start of the show there. Uh, sorry, Adrian Barry, good morning. Morning, Shed. Ashley O'Reilly, good morning. Good morning, Shane. How are things? How are you keeping? Not too bad, all good. good. Uh, a quiet night in football. Frank Lampard, it turns out, has uh, had a rude awakening to his return as Chelsea manager. Four games, four defeats, one goal scored, seven conceded. Um, it's not going to plan, is it, for Todd Bowley or for Frankie? Uh, no. Um, no, no, no. Definitely not for Todd Bowley. I would argue less so on Frank. You know, like it's not that he... He obviously... There's a weirdness about this whole story. It's a very complex thing that we mm. can probably spend a couple of hours talking about, I think. But um, Let's do that, Adrian. <laughs> yeah. If only we had a show that lasted two and a half hours. <laughs> we could really get into this. Uh, it just feels like there's a weird sort of a, like a laughing at Frank stuff going on. Um, from fa- fans, certainly a little bit of in the media, like he's a bit of a uh, caricature. People, uh, you know, people are hoping that he'd fail um, because they can poke a bit of fun at him. Has he really done that badly? On his return? Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't know yet. Yeah, all four games, tough games, tough games. Two, two of them against Real Madrid, right? Two of them against Real Madrid, who are scoring goals for fun. Like even if you look at the game last night, right? If you start, and the, sorry, the other one was it Wolves? Was the other one Coleman's? Wolves and Brighton. Yeah. Brighton, Brighton are a really good team. Mm. Does any team in the league could lose to Brighton at the minute? I mean, not without Evan Ferguson at the exact minute, but generally they're a really good team, and it's not just him. They have players all over the park. So. I think that everything in, in a bit of context here. The manager didn't lose his job because they were going very well. The manager lost his job because they were crap. So he's coming into a team who are as low as a snake's belly, as the expression goes, and uh, haven't been playing very good football. And for all the money they spent, don't have a striker. Mm. So, like, you look at them last night for 60 minutes, and I thought it was a good case point, because actually I was happened to be in the studio last week after the first leg, and I kind of felt for the first 15 minutes of the game last week, they were really good. Like, they could have scored a goal inside the first two or three minutes last week. They scored two goals in the first five minutes. They could have had three after about 15. Now, they didn't take any of those. And last night was an extension of that across 60 minutes. Uh, Joanne had a great stat on the coverage last night that they had... Um, 86 shots for one goal in April, in the month of April. Mm. So, like, I know... That, does, that doesn't say to me that the manager's doing something incredibly bad. That says to me that they're creating an awful lot of chances. I still don't fully understand how... So they don't have a striker. Somebody After spending just, 600 million. Yeah, and that's not, but that's not Frank's fault. No, no. But and, and I also don't understand how... So we, we say they don't have a striker as a reason why they haven't converted more of those 86 chances. Like as a, as, as a professional footballer, like looking at some of the chances they got last night. Yeah, you're like, come oh on. Oh my God, you're the like playing football to, mm. for as a professional. That ball's fallen to Kante. That's the point. If they had bought a striker, that ball's fallen to he, a he does, striker. He, he does play... Too far up the pitch. Frank was a bit like that the last time he was at Chelsea. Mm. Figures that N'Golo Conte should be playing further up the pitch. I think that if they had an actual striker, they could probably rely a little bit less on that. Were you surprised that he came back in? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was surprised. And by the way, it's not that I'm not... It's, I'm not all sort of singing and dancing about Frank Lampard here. Like, it's... I just think that he needs oh, to be cut... You are, cut, go on. Go he on, needs to be cut it. a bit of a break. I was surprised. I watched the Liverpool game that he was at 
the day before, I think, that he got announced. And I definitely thought, oh, there's a nice shot of Frank. That's that's great. Now, I wonder, because he's he not yet? on punditry or whatever. He must be just, just there for the night. And then he was, like, obviously in a director's box or whatever. So it was a bit of a surprise the next morning where, uh, to me, when all that sort of came out. Well, but he was supposed to be doing punditry, wasn't he, for the first that first game he took in charge of Chelsea. He was down to do punditry mm. at the Real Madrid game, wasn't it? Um, so he was down. Oh, was he? I think so. Yeah, right. he'd been down and obviously had to change Jesus his plans. But right. so you can't you can't blame Frank for taking the job. Like if you're if he's going to get offered that job yeah. for the rest of the season, the amount of money he's going to get for this he, makes sense from his it. perspective. Yeah. But like, where <laughs> you just wonder, will it do more damage than good for thing. his reputation I, I, as a manager? That, look, that is a good question, and I'm going to come off like the one here who's saying that Frank Lampard is the reincarnation of a young Alex Ferguson. I'm not saying that at all. He obviously. Um, I I do believe that uh, Chelsea is a, definitely a level above where he should be. I I agree with that all day long. Yes. But neither do I think that he's the clown that he's being painted, and he doesn't know what no. he's doing, and he's fumbling around. Who, but who's painting him as a clown? You, think the you media just pick up a lot of the papers today, and there is a bit of a sneering about, like, frankly, not good enough. There's all yeah. this sort of stuff going on. There does feel to be a bit of a sneering about him. And as I said, it's not that I don't think he's shortcomings. Like you look at the game last night, they're. They they should absolutely unquestionably be, unquestionably have been ahead on sixty minutes last night. There's no doubt about it. They they had created a whole lot of chances. The difficulty against a team like Madrid is once you concede, you have to go after the game. And I actually was impressed in some ways that they only lost two 0 in the end because they were obviously committing more players forward. Mm. They made the substitutions. I'd be critical of them for the length of time it took them to make the substitutions. It was basically ten minutes after Madrid scored. Everybody, the writing's on the wall after Madrid go one up. There's no need to hang off on your, uh, you know, um, Joao, uh, Felix, uh, Mudrick and Sterling come on. What was that about? What was his decision making there? You, we, like, so yeah. Frank does, obviously, Chelsea not having a striker is not Frank's fault, as you say. But Ch- Frank picked the team last night. Yeah. Yes. It felt like the wrong, mm. obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but it well, felt like the wrong approach. Wh- what if, what if Kante had scored that goal? You're 2 nil down, you're, you're 2 nil down already. But but what if Kante had scored that goal and it got to 2-1? We'd be having a very different conversation, I think. Would Sterling today. or Felix, if that, or Felix as he likes to be pronounced, would... As would, is his actual name. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> as he likes to be pronounced. His name. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Felix. Uh, but if that ball had fallen to Felix or Ster- Sterling, that there's a higher percentage chance that, that ball's end in the back of the net. Uh, so possibly. Is that not on Lampard then to be putting proper players in number 10 position that can score? I wouldn't be look you can you certainly argue that as we sit here in the cold light of day tomorrow well, yeah. uh, uh, today 55 60 minutes into the game yesterday I wasn't thinking like that I thought geez if they get a goal here this is on now the only thing is it is Real Madrid uh, they've scored over their last um uh, seven, uh, bum, 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 uh, six games in April so far and have scored 17 goals right so the idea that you're not going to concede against Madrid in a game like that mm in a team like Chelsea at the minute yeah. is highly unlikely anyway um, but I don't know look at well, I've, they had 19 I've, shots Chelsea last night yeah like that, no, that, that's not a team that don't know what they're doing I'm sorry mm-hmm. that like you can read all the reports this morning and listen to all the experts but that is not a team that don't know what they're doing but sure it's results business you can't lose you can't take charge of a team and then lose your first four games and expect expect headlines that don't I'm saying I'm saying all bit. this in the context that I don't think anybody could have made a case for Chelsea beat Madrid no, I don't. Rafa Benitez tried to do it in the papers yesterday, which was which I found hilarious. He was like, "This is how Liverpool or Chelsea can can turn it around tonight." I'm mm. like, Come on, Rafa! I know you're desperate for a job, but this is not <laughs> this is not the way to approach it. You look at, when you're looking at the odds for next Chelsea manager. This is uh, who will be in charge of the first game of next season. Nagelsmann is still the favourite, narrowly ahead of Luis Enrique. 
and Maurizio Pochettino. So any, still the big any, names, but any, any of those any of those managers that wouldn't okay four nil over two legs <clears throat> losing two nil to Madrid in a, in a game of football is not a bad result. It's not a bad result. There's not an awful lot of teams in the Premier League that would come away with, mm-hmm. with only a two nil defeat. Um, any of those managers that would have done any better than him over the two legs. The problem now is they're not going to get Champions League football for next season. So why would any of those managers take over Chelsea? And look at the yeah, state of their squad. Yeah, the, moolah. the, the money. Well, that's the very moolah, but I mean, the moolah, I think mm-hmm. that's like yeah, but it could be a bad PR move for them. Like mm. you know, if 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 you walk into a dressing room with so many characters, sure, we, we were talking earlier in the season about the fact that Chelsea players have to use a couple of dressing rooms in training sessions because there's not enough room for the size of their squad. Um, the amount of egos in that team as well. Sure, even players like Felix and, and Mudrick and Sterling on the bench. A lot of lads are not going to want to be there next season because mm-hmm. they're not getting game time. They're not going to get Champions League football. We know that. So why would Nagelsmann, Enrique, Pochettino, these lads take that job? Like Lampard is actually the fourth favourite to be permanently in charge next season. It's not the craziest idea. It isn't. Like it's not beyond the realms of possibility. If he, I, I don't believe that the football. I'm obviously saying the chances they're creating. Yeah. If they start to convert a couple of those. Maybe they need a couple of players to come in. Yeah, they need a striker. But even when you're naming out all those players, like they've such a serious yeah, squad when you yeah. think about it, that oh. they're actually like where they're sitting at the minute is is actually surprising. It's, an, it's mental. Yeah, I, I just don't know how anyone could control the egos in that dressing room. Clearly, Graham Potter couldn't. Uh, and and I definitely felt sorry for Potter. I think Potter has more sympathy than maybe Lampard. I don't know why. There is that kind of Lampard is a figure of ridicule to some but, yeah. but Todd Bowley is the real figure of ridicule here because I don't know how many times during the match last night the camera panned That's up to Bowley fault. and it's like he's sitting on his phone at one point just before Real opened the scoring and then it goes up to him two minutes later after the goal and he's just yeah. <laughs> I think <laughs> that's I, I think it's the unbelief yeah. he's, look uh, he's not running the club well he's going into the dressing room uh, for uh, an hour amazing. talking to the players Look, I, sometimes that stuff gets... I don't know. I wasn't there. Who the hell knows, right? But like the only thing we have evidence of is the amount of players he bought and the amount of money he spent and it hasn't been the smartest move in the world. And Potter paid the price for that. Um, mm. Lampard is, to a degree, paying a little bit of the price now as well. Uh, him appearing on the screen is a difficult one because like, he's been spoken about in a way that a lot of owners don't get spoken about. And uh, again, there's that bit of a figure of fun thing. Mm. Um, I d- d- the... Madrid, on the other hand, by the way, just looked so impressive again last night. Mm-hmm. Like their calmness in front of goal. Um, the was it Vinicius Junior gets it, and Chelsea had had a, a chance up the other end just before that, and they'd taken a bit of a swipe at it, mm-hmm. out of like a bit of a panic, and um, Courtois had come out and blocked down and blocked it away. I think it was Vinicius Junior who gets it and holds on to it in that little bit of calmness, in the melee of the madness of what's going on in the box and just a little slovey ball in for yeah. a three goal and they bury it. It's just... The second goal even as well. He took, he took his while, to, I mean, he had, he had an open goal, but he took his while to tap that in. It's he like did. Waiting for, the, yeah. waiting for the challenge for the goalkeeper. So, it, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a perfect game management from Real, mm. he felt. Like Ancelotti... And that's what they do best. 100%. Mm. Game management. They were, they were ridiculously good. A couple of comments coming in on Chelsea here on the, the YouTube channel. Uh, Stephen Donnellan says, last time Chelsea didn't make Champions League, they still managed to get Conte in and win the league the following season. So not having Champions League football doesn't put off big managers. That's maybe a fair point. Um, like Chelsea, you're still a big club. It's I a think if job. you're a big manager, you sort of say to yourself, it's nearly... It's nearly... You're nearly... It's nearly you're nearly better off going in there. Because they're at, they're can only at go low. up. Yeah, exactly. yeah. You're like a hero if you get Champions League football. That's you don't need to win the league even the next year. That's why for Lampard coming in now to lift the mood at this point in the season, I just yeah, it should be perfect. It's, oh, it should be perfect. 
as in it was so low under Potter. But then he comes in. But also for him at this point, the players are just like, there's no chance. (laughs) Yeah, we're we're done. It's come close to the end. You know, next year, yes, okay, next season, there's there's more of a chance. I wonder. I was looking at the aftermath of the game last night, and I could see Lampard going around, and like Modric is over, and they're having a bit, they're having a little bit of a chat and a hug, and Ancelotti is over, and then a bit of a chat and a hug. Mm. Like I feel a bit like there's a bit of the Roy Keynes about him. Mm. Like none of those personalities are talking to Lampard as the manager. Yeah. There's a game recognises game, which yeah. has nothing to do with his You're abilities as a manager. It's like, let's let's just acknowledge each other here, Madrich. There's a bit of a... Like, a bit of a Roy Keane there. Like. Yeah, like what, what, was he, what did Lampard shout across to Jurgen Klopp that time? Was it during, was it during COVID? No, oh, I quite, remember that. Quite yeah. clearly could hear him shouting things to, to Jurgen Klopp. About giving him, it all that. Him not, not being a player. Something like that and say, oh, you won the league last season and you're giving it the big one sort of Oh, sort of yeah, vibe. yeah, yeah. So it was a bit, it was a bit he off. He was a player, of course, but of no, course. Not, not at that level. Not at the high level. Uh, Colin making the point that uh, Chelsea appointment of Conte, that was 2016-17 and there were fewer appealing jobs, which is maybe also also accurate. But there's a lot of there's a lot of big managers available. Oh, yeah. Like, it's probably a time to, to go for these lads, but I, I don't know. Uh, is it Win Stanley? Is the Paul Win Stanley and Lawrence Stewart are the co-sporting directors of Chelsea? They're the ones who decided to get rid of Graham Potter. Their names kind of go under the radar a little bit. In what sense? Uh, it, well, it, it, they made the decision to get rid of Potter now. Oh, yeah. Like there's there is the argument out there that maybe you sh- they should have held on to Graham Potter. Like you can't ju- you just can't keep firing and hiring managers. Mm. It doesn't mm-hmm. work like that. Well, that's clearly the likes of Todd Bowley has no problem doing it. But well, we were told that that was the one thing we were told about Todd Bowley when he takes over. He loves a long term project. Mm. There'll be no Graham Potter, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. That was the Don't whole thing with Graham yeah. Potter. That's what you're here to do, develop. Yeah. Like, yeah. develop you'll the be team. absolutely fine. A few of the comments. Uh, Noel Cal, you can blame him. Yes, you can blame him. His arrogance to believe he's good enough, maybe admit he's not good enough. I assume you're talking about Lampard there. Um, Michael says, maybe Chelsea are paying the price for the changing he's of the He's not going to come out and say, what, you gonna, what do you expect him to do? <laughs> what do you expect yeah. him to say? Like, he's yeah. not going to come out and go, yeah, listen, I'm not up to this. 100%. And even last night, I'm just reading his quotes from after the match last night, he says, I won't let anyone off the hook in terms of seeing this season out. It has to be the opposite. He's talking about how many crosses they had, how many chances they had, how many shots yeah, they had. Yeah, didn't he say they were a be- the better team? He's they were, they, they, that, he, yeah. they, he was saying they were the better team for 60 minutes. Mm. You can make that case. You, you could make that case. Well, last it's night not, was it's the not most, crazy thought. It was the most promising performance of the four so far yeah. under Lampard. So you have to give him the next. It's Brentford, I think, next for them. I okay. mean, that, well, it's not going to. That's not an easy Premier League no. game to, no. to to try and bounce back and get a three points in. Um, so no easy concerned. games that level, Shane. No easy games. It's a game of two halves as well, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Forty-five minutes. Um, any other cliches you want to throw in there? Got to stick the ball in the onion sack. You do. Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, 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 yeah. The onion sack. I like that one. <laughs> I usually go with the onion bag, but we'll we'll, we'll stick that one in as well. Um, what else do we want to talk about? The GPA have a have a report out today. Now this was a. It it feels like not so, that's something we haven't we've seen before, but also it's quite concerning. So some of the the top level stuff from this uh, GPA report um, found that only nine point five percent of intercounty women's players receive travel expenses versus one hundred percent of the male players. Also found that eighty percent don't have regular access to a doctor, and forty eight percent paid to see a physio with average cost of two hundred and twenty euro. Um, there's talk talk about access to pitches as well. Seventy percent of female intercounty players. Uh, reported difficulties accessing pitches uh, and there are calls to compensate female players uh, for costs incurred from, from this year onwards. It's on the back page of a lot of the, the newspapers this morning as well, even the back of the window there has uh, GPS seek more croaker funds to end inequality in female codes. Uh, a lot of quotes from the GPS CEO Tom Parsons. Uh, but guys, this is fairly stark when you read the figures here. Yeah, um, I don't know, I'm not really that surprised though. Yeah. Um, you should be a bit more surprised but I, I don't think I am. 
like just to think about the Mead Camogie players they played in Crow Park last weekend mm. in the league final against Kerry lost by a point in the end but up until that game they were going around the country trying to find pitches um, for their training they don't have a, a set base so yeah I think things like this are, are happening maybe across the country and on the expenses as well I maybe thought maybe that had changed mm. 2023 we'd often heard the terrible stories up to now but I definitely thought there was more of an improvement there um, but I don't know how players do that when they're a lot of them nowadays the inter-county age is, is dropping they're in college they're either only coming out of leave insert some are only doing their leave insert how would they have the funds to get themselves to and from trainings you know to, to get themselves to matches to wherever it is to get on the bus to go to matches it's oh, very tough it's their parents are having to do it obviously and that's not easy in the times that we're in at the minute so yeah um, not on because a lot goes into being an inter-county player and then to on top of all of that to be having to worry about travel expenses so yeah it's it's terrible to, to hear those figures but yeah not overly surprised though mm-hmm. Who are the dissenting voices against this happening? I just can't understand. I actually, there was a bit of me that looked at the paper this morning and I thought, oh, is that a paper from somehow from yeah. like three years ago that is yeah. more the stack? Like. like, there's obviously this conversation that's gone on in the background that, um, is it Mary McAleese is heading up that yeah. committee where they're trying to obviously piece Merge the, them all, the yeah. together, yeah. Um, things together. Which, again, like I know there are obviously bits and pieces you need to get through, but like, uh, I can't, you know, I was looking at the, she was at the uh, Agreement 25 thing that was up in Queen's University, Belfast, uh, 25 years since the Belfast Agreement, and I was watching the George Mitchell speech last night, which, by the way, is a, I appreciate it, it's a mm. bit of a tangent here, an unbelievable watch, yeah. and I highly recommend it to go and look at. Uh, but she was hosting a panel after that, and she's obviously involved with trying to piece that thing together. I don't know what voices in the room are saying, like, uh, here, should we, what, you know, what what's stopping that happening, number one? And just on this bit, like George Mitchell was talking about, sort of, like he managed to get everybody in that room. You know, the, the types of people and, and how at opposite ends of the scales they were, mm-hmm. scale they were to get them in a room and get that hammered out over a couple of years. This has been going on for forever yeah. since yeah. the games existed. I just don't understand how they couldn't, even almost separate to that other process of uniting the organisations, how couldn't they get everybody in a room? I just don't know what the counterpoint, if, if, if all the stakeholders are sat around a table, Who's saying, well, we can't do this, or here's the reason not to do that? It just doesn't. What are the hurdles? Yeah. Mm, Just get it done. That's the only way we're going to see change. Like 9.5%. That. That's bizarre, isn't it? To 100% for men. Like, that is, is quite crazy when you think about it. But. Yeah, I've it's 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 unbelievable, really. But yeah, bringing them together, merging that's the only way I could see really positive improvement. But could they get this done ahead of that? Would be what I would ask. Like twin track them, separate that one. Like I don't know what the hurdles to getting that done again on the face of it. Look, I'm probably very naive. I can't see why the, everybody has a thirst to get it done. Just go and get it done. Mm-hmm. But to just get this done because they were talking like the big thing in the paper today is about trying to get it done by 2024 mm. and I don't know what the timeline for the uh, merging of the organisations would be it would appear that it might be slightly longer than that so on the basis of 2024 they're going to have to do it in parallel or separately I just go ahead and get it done yeah like, do, it, do it now if, if there's a will to get it done which there clearly is yeah um, I think we were, you, were, well, you were making the point before the show actually like the fact that people forget that these players Male and female players, but but clearly it's it's a bigger issue for female players because they're not getting the the same financial support. They have 
things to pay for. They have bills. They have mortgages, some of them. It would turn you away from playing. 100%. Because maybe you just can't do it. Like you a lot of these girls play. can't afford to play an amateur game because they can't get themselves to and from training mm. or to get themselves to the bus to go to, to the game or whatever it is. And it's not fair to do this to, to families, to parents, to have to put that on them. Mm. And, you know, I'm sure that they would like to, you know, if they can be able to, you know, have their, their child play. And so, yeah, it's it's just unreal. But it's been going on for, for so, so long. Like I remember years ago being involved and this was always the way. Mm. You know, you didn't get any expenses, and, and it was tough. And what about access to pitches? Like, was it were there clear preferences for the male teams? Um, yeah, yeah, there always would have been. I think that's well known. Like, they maybe got the first pitch, and you'd get the maybe the second pitch, that sort of thing. They'd have food after training. Mm. We used to sort of, in fairness, it was probably a sound thing on their behalf. We didn't have the funds, obviously, within the LGFA, so it was the GA that had the money in Mead, so they basically would have their food and stuff after training and we used to go in after and if there was like, you know, Scraps, when they well, I wouldn't say that, but like that they basically would, yeah, they would let us come in then, but we didn't have our own. You know, we just got to, you know, basically what was, yeah. they not leftovers because it was perfectly good food, but like maybe there was too much. So that's the food that we got then. Um, yeah, that's desperate. But now that's, so I'm talking 2017, so I would think that there's been a lot of change since then. Obviously we've seen the heights that Mead have gone to, so they're in a total different place to that but I would say there is other counties that are not like we have heard about Cavan like a lot of talk about the Cavan ladies this year and they just wanted the expenses what they were told they were going to get Yeah. so yeah there's a lot of stories I would say uh, around the country um, yeah of players not getting their expenses maybe not getting food after training and things like that do you think our basics the basic, so, yeah. basic rights to like have, the, I would the say. The quotes in the paper, so Mary McAleese and Tom Parsons, along the same lines, basically, they know that the finances are there within the GA to take female sports forward. So I think Parsons is quoting, in excess of €150 million Euros a year, when you consolidate it, he says, players' expenses are 4 or 5% of that because it's an amateur game. Half of revenue in other professional sports goes on salaries, so we don't have that cost. So he's saying even if the travel expenses on the, the men's side is increased uh, or doubled to 8%, it's still the deal of a lifetime. The revenue is there. It's hard to argue with that. The money, the money is there within the GA to make, to make this I see, happen. Um, so, mm-hmm. Matthew Hanlon, who's the co-chair, obviously since the GA and the GPA were merged, uh, we want negotiations to start as soon as possible, so the consistent work of the charters in place for 2024 onwards. And um, you just wonder, like obviously the foundations, the GPA were very militant. Um, you know, the, the an old strike. Threat or threat of a strike every now and then was uh, something that got thrown out. Yeah, like at some point or another, this can't go on for the players. Like they will need to at some point, if there's not a will being shown on all sides, people to get around the table and to actually get something done about it. Maybe they just need to um, take a more of a hard line approach. I'd say there's drastic change from county to county, though, and I'd say mm. that's probably the thing. So you might see the top few counties mm. are maybe getting their expenses and yeah. stuff we'll have to look into this but I would say there's a lot that are getting nothing so I'd say it's quite a divide to yeah. when you have the strike some are happy some aren't that sort of thing so Grace Walsh is in the paper she's being quoted for at this uh, GPA report launched the Kilkenny Camogie captain she's saying you're just treated less than your male counterparts and that again feels like Groundhog Day this feels like a story that's cropped up a number of times over the years even when you look at things like sports science so I've already mentioned access to physios strength and conditioning expertise medical professionals and then the training playing gear and the, the nutritional expenses we saw the Telegraph report on the, the women's rugby team last week 
even access to protein, protein ahead yeah. of the, the Tour of Japan last year. So this this is something that has cropped up in Irish sport across coats. Like it's just mm. the, level, the, the playing field you feel like in the last couple of years every so often we pat ourselves on the back and we're like this is getting better or we're definitely we're definitely moving in the right direction then all of a sudden you see a report like this and you're like are we re- Are we? yeah I think it even stems from like underage I yeah. think yes, that's where you start seeing it mm. like I'd often hear like conversations within clubs and they'd be deciding who gets what pitches say yeah. and like I've heard of clubs giving their minor lads team the front pitch because maybe they have more supporters than the senior women's team. Jeez. That has been excuses that I've heard. And they're le- they think they're legit. They're telling you the excuse going, what, really? Like, these are stories that I've heard not that long ago, mm. you know, close to, enough to last season. So I think it stems from, from underage the whole way up of, yeah, they, they basically think, oh, they're better quality games. I don't know. But even, was it Anna Kiplis on the show? Yeah. Apologies, it wasn't. Right, it was, yeah, was, she yeah. was talking about the... <laughs> Even meetings yeah. at, at rugby level where they discuss the men's first team and maybe the seconds and then the thirds and then maybe the under 20s and then they'll get into the down the age groups in the boys section down to the mini leagues and it's it's any other, any other business at, at that stage and the, the women's team is maybe thrown in or someone has to put their hand up and say well what about the women's team are we going to discuss the issues there so like and, and look I'm sure that doesn't happen at every single rugby club or GA club across the country but Unquestionably, there are GA clubs and rugby clubs across the country that treat the women's game like that. Like I even know rugby or GA clubs at home where the, the the ladies' team is almost separate entity, completely to to mm. the men's team, and it's treated mm. like that in the club. You look at the, the name of the club, and you're thinking, right, that's the men's, men's team, and that's the women's team, but they're different entities in in so many ways, and that's where the merger, I guess, comes in. The um, fact that they're called ladies, I have to say, for me, oh, it's just... I, I, I often say it, and I'm like, why am I even saying I, it? I, I refuse to say it. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's it's dinosaur stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> if they if they want to go down that route, then call it the gentleman's... Yeah, yeah. It's just... Yeah, like, no, I honestly, I say it so many times because that is what it is called. That's been the, ham- we've that been hammered home the, to say the it, name yeah. of it, but like, I'm like, <laughs> ladies, like, oh, we would never say that get, to each other. From the get-go, like, it's... Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's, it's wrong. Uh, let us know in the comments what, what, what you make of all that in the GA, GPA report. Uh, we'll, of course, cover that story uh, more heavily across the across the rest of the week. OTBM at 7.56am with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. I did want to talk about Monaghan. I do want to talk about Monaghan. Ashley, you were at the match. That's why it... I'll just, uh, don't don't, don't, don't <laughs> look at me. Don't, don't be like, oh, this lad's talking about Monaghan again. We wanted to talk about it because Ashley, like myself, was at Healy Park. Come on, Shane. Yeah, don't you, throw you me on the bus here. That's the excuse. It's all me. Ashley, no, I, no, was, no. I was at in the pre-show meeting. I was at, and James was like, "Grant, that's yeah, yeah, half yeah, an hour yeah, of yeah. that." Yeah, you're also at for Man of Dairy, of course, as well. Which yeah, is, sure, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. <laughs> no, let's get to Martin first. Uh, what did you make of it? That was um, what a game. What, say it was, what a game. This whole phrase "saved football" has been thrown around, but um, yeah. it was. It was. It was <laughs> Who's thrown that around? It's been. Th- I was listening to the lads in the news round last night, and they were discussing the. It was an unbelievable game. I think we needed, you know, that sort of kickstart to the championship Mm. because I was at the Derry Fermanagh game the day before and it just lacked all sense of atmosphere. There was no championship buzz whatsoever, unfortunately. But um, yeah, the the Monaghan Tyrone, it's always a a good game in Healy Park. (laughs) Anytime I go, it seems to either go to extra time or... Yeah, it's brilliant. But yeah, five points down at half time. I thought Monaghan, they're not at the races. I thought Tyrone, they looked... Really, really fit. I find they've gone easier to, Tyrone in the first yeah, half. Yeah, gone to a new level. I just thought, no, Tyrone are ones to watch here. That's the way I was feeling yeah. in the first half. And then, yeah, we actually seen Monaghan come to life then in the second half. And 
What a finish. Oh, but it was ridiculous at the end of the game <laughs> that that any self-respecting team in terms of Tyrone, what happened at that last with the goal, the parting of the seas, I honestly couldn't believe it. I was looking at the TV yeah, going, defending, like, well, somebody's going to come out now at some point and put a challenge in here. Like, it was crazy. Yeah, that much space it to begin with. Yeah. Straight Very through. smart run. Like he, he lost Niall Sludden. Sludden yeah. was keeping an eye over his shoulder, but then got drawn towards the ball and obviously gave O'Toole the, the space. But they should have known that if they had but just. Even long before that, with the move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that it all went. It was like we've knocked it over the bar, wasn't it? It was a point yeah, for Tyrone. And then that. it was like, okay, cool, we can just. We've won the match. Like, yeah. Well, it was get crazy. 15 men behind the ball and yeah. Monaghan won't get through us. But Carlo Connell, who was brilliant all game, just kept running through that Tyrone defence and breaking through. Kieran Duffy gets on the ball. And Kieran Duffy is often, he might be a cornerback, but he's often the man at the end of Monaghan moves who takes the pot shot. And he's a very accurate shooter for a cornerback. So I was thinking when Kieran Duffy gets the ball, kick it over the bar quick. Yeah. But obviously then you see Ryan O'Toole inside and then once Ryan O'Toole gets the ball I'm like alright fist it over the <laughs> yeah, bar yeah. just hurry up and fist it and as, as he bared it <laughs> on goal I was, I was like what the hell is he doing <laughs> what is he doing but I, I, I watched the, the, the Mayo game previous uh, yeah, in he the last did the game same he, thing. he did the exact same goal came from the same position and just buried it now this was different this was an, an occasion where you're like he has to he has to fist it over the bar yeah. and when I spoke to him after he said I was one on one like yeah. I, I had to go for it yeah. he almost felt like you know that's the way I've been trained one on one I'll get in trouble not to go oh. for a goal here you weren't one on one he wasn't one on one throwing defender on the goal line yeah. as well like, he was like you have to live in the moment and so his quotes yeah. afterwards were like well I was listening to that I was definitely like <laughs> Jesus <laughs> yeah. I thought like there would have been a part of him sort of half second guessing himself but oh. he was probably no, no, full no. of confidence so, yeah his championship debut Unbelievable! I'm sorry, the celebration. He I know. Doing this. He, like as soon as the ball hits the net, he runs off and starts <laughs> doing this. It's like I don't even know what it means. But cash money, money I guess. Money, but like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bonhead were certainly in the money uh, at full time, and it was uh, it was quite a buzz leaving. There was a good few videos popped up. Actually, I don't know if you were paying much attention. You probably weren't very you were busy, we but there was a lot of people that like during the game were taking videos of what was going on. Some of these people now, even and you know, we don't want to mention any names, but some of these people even have been really vocal about telling fans that they shouldn't be taking video at games and yet here they were no way I didn't see this taking video uh, video of some of the games oh right yeah. alright alright come on Shane so what Adrian <laughs> is getting to folks is right I, I took a video at the end of the match just to catch the match the, was still on see I, I thought the whistle went no no and then, no, no, and then clearly on, the referee ridiculously no, by the way played, played way too much time and gave Tyrone a couple no. of opportunities to, to launch the ball into the box um, but so what did you get in the camera I, I got, I got, I got nothing he was at the opposite end of the pitch oh, you couldn't see yeah. but I got the, the man and fans the, the, <laughs> the, the goal buzz, winning the buzz, no the buzz in the stand as the full time whistle ok which, right I mean I wanted to experience that for, I wanted it's to okay, hold on to it for perpetuity that, you know you've, you've relented from your ridiculous previous this position is different to, this is different to LeBron James breaking the, no, the record and everyone with the phones out as he takes the shot were you that's different I, I didn't um, have the phone out when Ryan O'Toole was, was pulling the trigger were you uh, were you able to do this were you able to do that and then also look at the game at the same course, time of course I was I'm a natural social media man you know? I had to actually stand up because in Healy Park a lot of the time if you're not in the actual press box across mm. the way then you're in amongst the fans which is actually I, I enjoy yeah. but I had to stand up for most of that because they were all stood up getting out of their seats yeah. once the Rhino okay. Tool had scored so I was like I can't even see the game <laughs> <laughs> yeah so everyone was just standing <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's, if, I, if I had filmed the O'Toole goal Adrian I acknowledge I would have 
I would have put forward my resignation on the show on Monday morning. Yeah, I would have said I, I, I resigned my position. Unlikely, Shane. Unlikely, unlikely. Nah, I, you would have got like there's an awful lot more video. Yeah. There's definitely an awful lot more video on your phone than your your. This is a latter day stats. Have my phone if you want, Adrian. Like, that was the only video or photo I took of the whole the whole, ah, the whole occasion on Sunday. I have to say, it. and it was tempting. You know, it was tempting the whole way home as well when you're when you're driving back and everyone is just buzzing. Modern people love beating Tyrone. Um, I think every county in Ulster loves beating Tyrone. Yeah. There is that little thing. And that's a, that's a compliment to, to Tyrone. Beat them this year in Healy Park. Yeah, well, there you go. Mm-hmm. And Monaghan beat Mayo in Castlebar as well. I'm not saying it's Monaghan's year, folks, but they'll have certainly. Oh no, scalps. relax now. They'll have scalps. I'm glad you said it. Actually, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not saying it's their year, but I, I do think they're year for what? Like, <laughs> well, to, to, have, to have a serious whack. What does that even at mean? Ulster? That's like a classic GA. They're certainly going to have a whack at Ulster, but the, the Monaghan Derry game is going to be fantastic. The week after next. Um, and I can't pick a winner from that one, but but certainly. Well, actually, come on, you you jump in here because I'm I'm. Uh um, it's funny with Derry. I, a lot of people are like, yeah, there's certs now, but I yeah. I just am not fully on the bandwagon. When I was very much on it last year, so I, yeah, yeah, I I just have to probably see a little bit more. You can't tell enough from the Fermanagh game to be honest. Um, the long, do the I long think balls that? In. Yeah, they're not ju- just some of the balls over the top. I think they would have got caught. Fermanagh didn't catch them enough of the time that yeah. they should have. They had so many opportunities to a better team yeah. would have. But at the same time, do I think that they'll be Monaghan uh, if, it, if it comes to that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it comes to that. They're in the semi final. Sorry. Yeah. I. I. Yeah. I that's do the think thing. It feels like there's not. You know, whatever team loses that semi final, I don't. I wouldn't be too concerned as a Monaghan fan if Monaghan lost. You know, if you lose by a few points and you still play reasonably well. And then you have still your three, what, what yeah. three weeks to prepare for the group phase. I don't think it's the end of the world. Like, no. It would be lovely no, to win Ulster true, this yeah. year, but I mean. Like Tyrone now, five weeks. Yeah. Which is nearly is too much time. A long time. That, like, that, that's a lot of players going back to club football, you'd imagine, in Tyrone. I know they love their club football in Tyrone, so they will probably go back, most of them. Um, give them the next week or two off, possibly, because three weeks is more than enough time to prep for that. Yeah, five weeks is a lot of time. I don't know, you could look at it both ways to have a bit of time to. Uh, work on things mm. really get yourself right Mayo I'm sure looking at it like that but at the same time not having that you know match yeah. games it's, it's just tough I think to be at that level Chris on YouTube here is saying uh, talking about dinosaurs using the term ladies while at the same time calling the uh, GFA as in the Good Friday dream- Agreement the Belfast Agreement um, uh, Mary McAleese herself called it the Belfast yeah. Good Friday Agreement so I'm just uh, putting that in the Quoting the great Mary McAleese yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> covering myself actually yeah. that's 100% on that note Adrian thanks a million cheers popping in as always 8.04am on this Wednesday morning's OTBAM uh, now we will be hosting a live UEFA Champions League roadshow in partnership with Just Eat it's coming your way on May the 3rd it'll be in the Mansion House in Dublin we will be joined by UEFA Champions League winners John O'Shea and Wes Brown along with Arsenal legend Paul Merson. It is sure to be a brilliant night's entertainment. This is an exclusive off-air event and tickets are limited, so don't delay. Go to offtheball.com forward slash events and we will see you on the night. Just Eat, the official food delivery partner of the UEFA Champions League. Now, up next, we're talking Champions League with the ESPN senior writer, Mark Ogden. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Six minutes, six minutes past eight on this Wednesday morning's OTBM, and uh, myself and Ashley are with you right through until uh, ten a.m. this morning. We are uh, talking Champions League. And delighted to be joined on the line this morning by the ESPN senior writer Mark Ogden. Morning, Mark. How are things? Hi, Shane. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Good. Thanks a lot for joining us. I know you were in uh, you were in Naples last night for 
Napoli's exit and AC Milan's progression to the Champions League semi-finals for the first time since 2007. Um, feisty atmosphere, I'd imagine, between these two. Mark, how was how was it on the night? It was, yeah. And, uh, you know, I obviously sat to the time thinking that Napoli would go through. I thought Napoli was a great story, but I, I just think over the two legs, especially last night, they just looked like a team that just run out of steam. Um, especially Gerard Scalia, who's been brilliant this season. You know, one of the players of the season, but. He's just, he obviously missed his penalty last night and you had the fact that he's now done six games that a goal or an assist, which he's not liking this season. I just think he kind of sums up what's happened to Napoli. They've just, they've just had a really, really tough, hard season. They're going to win Serie A, but I just think they've hit the wall just when they needed to to kind of push on in the, in the Champions League. Probably highlights how tough it is to, to compete on the two fronts. They, of course, have the, the Serie A uh, title all but wrapped up. So it's 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 one of those things, I guess, Mark, that, that you, as you mentioned, Kavarat Scalia, like he has been brilliant all season but these, these players are going to get tired as well and, and Ossiman is another who, who has lit the place up but it, it was tough for them last night It was yeah I mean, bear in mind they, they were without uh, Kimmy was suspended and Grissom was suspended they had I think they had a couple of players that, that injured in the first half last night Ossiman was playing his first game in, in almost a month and it, it just started a bit of a patch up job and they, it certainly wasn't the Napa that we saw at the start of the season I mean I remember the Liverpool game in, in Naples they absolutely blew them away and they just lacked that, I mean, they created plenty of chances, but they liked that kind of that zip, that burst of energy which they had. But you know, in fairness to Milan, Milan it was like watching the old Milan. It was like watching you know Baresi and Maldini at times, where they defended, where they were organised. It was just, it was a real kind of classic example of how to defend a lead away from home in the Champions League, and they did that. And it, it was a brilliant display by Milan. And you have to give them credit for that. And I think obviously people look forward to their their semi-final probably against Inter, which is you know a massive game. But I do think that the winners will come from the other side of the draw, probably. Real Madrid and Man City to be fair Yeah you would imagine it's kind of shaping up that way for sure um, you described AC Milan's performance last night in your piece on ESPN as, as smart and I think that was a, a perfect word to, to summarise it because it, it was just game management at its, be- at its best and Olivier Giroud once again Mark uh, stepping up with, with the goal He did and Mr. Penalty is not to be fair but yeah. a chance but you know Giroud just keeps on going and he, he's a player that he does get better with age I think the experience he's got and his, his wisdom and I just think he he is a perfect player for that. He's quite a young team in places on the man's side, and I think he just, he adds something. He, listen, he's not, you look at his, the way he plays, and he's, he's not the quickest, and he's not very mobile, but his goals record is, is, is outstanding. You know, he really is. He, you know, he's the top scorer all the time for France, and, but then you look, but he's no, he's no Thierry Henry, but whatever, whatever it is about, he really scores goals. And, he, and he's there again last night in a, in a big atmosphere. I think, I think for me as well, I think that obviously Ossiman coming back was a big thing for Napoli, and, you know, Milan just, you know, Pioli's tactics, he had Simon Kier and Ficayo Tomori uh, marking Ossiman, and apart from that goal, he scored, you know, third minute in stoppage time. It was really quiet. Bear in mind, he had been injured, but I just thought Milan did a really good job. And it, it you know, everyone talks about how great it is to watch people like Pat Guardiola, the City team, and Liverpool, and the club, how exciting they are. But it is quite exciting at times to watch a team like Milan defend like they did last night, and it shows you that there is an art to defend. And it's, it's often underpraised, I should say, that, that the fact that teams get defending done properly Yeah Mark I felt they were very defensively solid that was probably one of the most impressive parts of their game and I think going forward like first semi-final since 2007 you know it's, it's exciting times for Milan It is um, you know like I say you look at the team you look at what they're going Serie A thinking you know the fourth or 20 odd points behind Naples how can they be in the Champions League semi-final but sometimes it's what big clubs do you know it whether it's the, the, the badge or the strip it, it motivates the players and, I was in the San Siro last week I just felt that Milan felt that they were on their own turf it was like right we're Champions League quarter final this is our place 
and Napoli were kind of feeling the way a little bit, despite the fact that Napoli are the better team. And I just think sometimes when you've got a history of a club like Milan, you just feel comfortable in that in that scenario. And they just look comfortable last night. And I mean, the point I made in the piece last night is that obviously everyone talks about the miracle of Istanbul in 2005 and what a great game it was for Liverpool. People don't often talk about what happened to Milan and you know, for them to go back to the final in Istanbul this year, you know, 18 months later, some sort of redemption, that would be that would be a fairy tale for them. But, you know, for the big club, Milan, and I suppose whoever they get in the semi-finals, if they get to the final, they won't be phased by it. For anyone who hasn't seen the, the highlights, I'd urge you to go back, especially and watch Rafael Leao's run for that, that Giroud goal. He just mm. takes off and, and, and turns on the turbos. It was brilliant. Um, what, what's the atmosphere, Mark, around Naples when it comes to Victor Asimov? Because... There's all the talk that, that he might be heading off in the summer. Manchester United seem to be the one of the clubs that are certainly being linked with his signature, and, and I guess that's a position in which they need to, to improve. But is the, is the feeling that he will leave? Well, I mean, I, I spoke to a couple of fans in the town yesterday, and <laughs> the feeling of the fans is that definitely not, he won't leave. Whether it's naivety or just being a bit <laughs> blind to the truth, but I do think that you know, you talk about 100 million euros at least as a starting point for Osimhen. So that's that's big money that Napoli probably can't turn down, even if they, you know, win Serie A and get back in the Champions League. And over the years, Napoli have moved players on, people like Cavani moved on, Levetsi. So I think they probably would accept an offer for Osimhen, but you know, they won't want to accept one for Cavani as well. So it's a case of which one do they sell this summer? But obviously, Bayern Munich need a striker, Man United need a striker, and they're both big clubs with with, with big money. So I mean, last night it was. <laughs> He was poor last night, but he, he's been out for a month, so you can't really judge him on that. But I do think that, you know, you look around the strikers that might be available this summer, you're probably looking at Ossiman and maybe Harry Kane. And, and beyond that, you know, maybe Vlaivic for Juventus, but I think Ossiman and Kane are obviously the big two. So I'd, I'd be very surprised if he stays at Napoli because you can have some very big and ambitious clubs chasing his signature. Yeah, and only back from injury as well. Where do you rate him in terms of... Well, the type of centre forward he is. I read reports that he's one of the strongest centre forwards in Europe, maybe behind Haaland at the minute. Would you agree with that, Mark, or where would you rate him? I, I still put him behind Harry Kane. Besides, I mean, obviously Haaland at the top, but I, I still put him behind Kane and you know people like Marcelo Stolz have got. I think with Osimhen, he's he's got great pace, he's got strength, but I think that there will be a question mark over him, rightly or wrongly, because he's still in Serie A, and I think you know it. It hasn't been the, the best league over the years for producing strikers. We also, you know, Romelu Lukaku, you know, destroyed Serie A a couple of years ago. You know, either side of not doing great at Man United and Chelsea. So I do think Arsenal has got the, the credentials and the quality to do better than that. But it is it is a question mark. You'll have to answer that. So can can he do it in the Premier League where it is so intense? But Harlan's done it. Kane does it regularly. So I don't think he'll have a major problem. But I think it is something that at the moment means he's not quite at the level of Harlan and Kane. You know, Lewandowski. Great striker over the years. I think he's, you know, I think time to catch up with him now. But I do think that those are the top two in terms of Harlan and Kane with Austin behind those two. The other game last night, of course, Mark, and we touched on it heavily at the top of the show this morning, was uh, Chelsea's exit at the hands of uh, Real Madrid, four 0 in aggregate. And um, look, it's been a rude awakening to, to life as caretaker manager for for Frank Lampard. Four games now, four defeats, only one goal scored in those four games as well. Um, were you surprised that that Frank Lampard was the man that Todd Bowley and Co went went for? between now and the end of the season? In in the real world, I was very surprised. In the Todd Bowley world, I wasn't surprised at anything (laughs) because you just don't know what is coming down the track at Chelsea at the moment because they've made some strange decisions all season, you know, from second second Thomas Tuchel appointing Grant Potter, it's just been a a long case of, you know, decisions made without the experience that you need to make them, all the knowledge maybe. So, you know, the, the idea of bringing Lampard into, it's the old classic, steady the ship because he knows the club kind of thing. And it, well, 
you know, he, he last I think he last twelve games with Everton, last nine. He was sacked at Chelsea two years ago. Frank Lampard has no credentials to manage Chelsea apart from the fact he used to play for them. So it, it was a it was a bad move, and you know, it's almost like tarnishing Lampard's legacy because it's four straight defeats now. Like you say, I thought the next game is again. I think might be Brentford next week, which they could lose as well. So you know, what they need right now is a win, just a win of any kind, whether it's in the Champions League or anything. So. They're an absolute mess. They're not going to be any kind of European football next season. They've got lots of players to move on. I think Lampard will be well out of it in the summer when he when he finishes his caretaker stint. But I, I just wouldn't trust Todd Bowley and his advisors to get the right manager in in the summer to make them what they need to be, which is you know one of the Premier League's top four clubs in a club in the Champions League. I know you'd, uh, you've been writing earlier this month about the, the, the names, as many as seven names on Chelsea's shortlist. They included Nagelsmann, Enrique, you have Maurizio Pochettino, of course, in there as well, Ancelotti and, and the sporting manager, Ruben Amorim, being mentioned as well. I, is it still a, a lucrative job? Because, of course, they won't have Champions League football next season. And yet, it's still a massive club and it's in London. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a top job, Chelsea, for all those reasons you say. And, you know, they're at the Champions League, but they'll aspire to be in the Champions League and it a manager that's a good coach could look at that squad and think there's some really good players here. Just need to get them working as a unit, which might be easier said than done because they've been put together almost like they've been thrown at a dartboard. But it's um, it's a great job, Chelsea, because it is. It's probably London's biggest club in the eyes of European coaches. I mean, I know Arsenal and Tottenham have got the history, but I think Chelsea, because of where it is and because of what it's done over the last 20 years, they are, they are a super club, Chelsea. So. It's a job that out-of-work coaches will be falling over themselves to get. So I don't think they'll have any concerns on that point. But, you know, as you saw with Man United over the years, since Ferguson retired, if you make one bad mistake, it leads to another and another. And before you know it, 10 years ago, and you've basically fallen way behind your rivals. So that would be my concern if I was a Chelsea fan, because Todd Bowling does kind of have similarities to Ed Woodward in terms of making emotional decisions, decisions that, you know, like I say, don't really have any kind of basis in, in reality. So... It's an interesting one to watch, Chelsea. And can, can I just go back very quickly on the on the Osterman thing? Because I, I didn't mention Karen Benzema as the, one of the best strikers, I think, before people say mm-hmm. Karen Benzema. I've got to mention Karen Benzema. Yeah, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. He is, absolutely. But even just to, when we were talking about Frank Lampard there, Mark, I often wonder, will this do more damage than good for his managerial career or whatever he goes on to do after this you know, it, it, it's not a good look and obviously money talks, it, you know, he obviously will be well paid for this but yeah. really in terms of his management career you can't see it being a, a positive experience. No, it doesn't do any good really. I mean, let's be honest, it, it was his reputation was pretty low after Everton because it went really bad at Everton and, you know, on a personal level, Frank Lampard is one of the good guys. He, he's a guy that will engage with the fans, with the media. He, he is, he's not one of these that will kind of be abrupt or aloof but, I've got, you've got to say that Everton went so badly wrong that he, he was very lucky to get the Chelsea job and he's not actually doing anything at Chelsea to suggest that what happened at Everton was a blip. So I don't know where Lampard goes from here. I really don't. I mm-hmm. think it's going to be tough for him because he's already had his dream job with Chelsea. So, you know, after after failing at Everton, what is he going to get? He's probably not going to get a Premier League job. He ain't going to get the England job, which, you know, I think that's a good thing or a bad thing for him. And I don't know, I, I just think he'll end up being a, a TV pundit because I just don't see where he goes in, in management. I just think he's got too much too much failure on his on his CV at a young age. You know, he's, he's not really achieved anything, let's be honest. I mean, he, he didn't even get Derby promoted. So, nice guy, good guy, but I just think management isn't for him. We've got a comment in on our, our YouTube channel from David. It says, can anyone name a club where the owner has publicly involved themselves directly in team performance and it's gone well? What did you make of, of the the dressing room 
uh, decision by by uh, Todd Bowley to go in and speak to the players. I mean, some of the reports were saying he was in there for an hour and uh, pointing out certain players' performances using words like embarrassing. Uh, is this a is this a very bad look for Todd Bowley and Chelsea? Well, it's a bad look when they're losing. I mean, I think Lampard made a really good point in his press conference of the day when he was asked about that, and he said, "Look, Roman Abramovich used to come in all the time, and that you know when he was there, mm. and he was there for twenty years." And, under Abramovich, Chelsea were pretty successful. So, you know, I think I think Abramovich knew that there's probably a time and a place to go in. And even and if he wanted to, you know, let us some steam and, and criticise players, he would do it. But he would do it when, when Abramovich did it. He knew that it, it <laughs> he meant it. With Todd Bowley, he's coming. He's probably thinking that now who is this guy? I mean, who who is he? What has he done to come in and you know tell us that we're doing things wrong? Because yes, he's a the co-owner yes he's a billionaire but his background is baseball and it's a different sport and I think the problem is he's coming to football thinking that he can apply the, the methods that he's used in baseball and US sport in, in, in football and it's a totally different environment and I think when you when you come into that dressing room and you start having a go up place if you had any respect in the first place you lose it because you're not doing it from a position of strength or credentials I'd imagine when Abramovich came into the dressing room that the players were you know sat up straight and listening because Whatever his faults, the guy had, you know, delivered success at Chelsea, and the players knew that his methods would work. With Todd Bowley, none of his methods have worked. So I suppose the players are thinking, well, you can't have a go at making mistakes because you're making them every day. Can I just finally ask you, Mark, before we let you go? Um, I know you've been writing about the the so-called prospective sale of Manchester United. Um, Joel and Avram Blazer are increasingly confident of securing this outside investment. Uh, not the news Manchester United fans will want to hear because that would mean that they, they could stay on as, as United owners and potentially uh, look to double the value of the club, as they say, over the, over the next decade. I know there's a, a deadline of April 28th for, for third bids. The word greed is coming to mind here, and I'm sure a lot of United fans will, will use that one. Is, is it feeling like it's heading this direction, that the Glazers might stay put? Yeah, I mean, I did a piece in February when I, I wrote that that people were contacting the rain group, the bank that they were in charge of, and they were telling me that they were kind of sceptical of the Glazers' motives, that they didn't really think they would sell. And honestly, I, I got I got heaps of views on social media from fans about that. But it's it's not because I wanted it to happen; it's because that's what I was told. So sometimes you have to accept that there can be an uncomfortable truth if you don't like it. And that is the situation with the Glazers right now. That even if you you just you know take away your you know, emotional attachment to it. And you look at the fact that four, I think now four hedge funds and investment banks have, have, have made public their desire to get involved, but it's not to buy the club, it's to help invest and to help support the owners, which is basically enabling the Glazers to stay. So there are six Glazers, we know, and four of them have, certainly three have had no, no kind of involvement on a day-to-day basis. What the other one, Brian, has kind of removed himself over the years from United. So it's just Abby and Joel. And I'm told that, Joel and Avi are just very keen to find a way to keep the club and to run it themselves rather than run it with the voices of four siblings that maybe have different ideas. Now, if, if Avi and Joel think they can, you know, get rid of their siblings and make a success of it, well, all well and good, but they've, they've had 18 years of trying and it hasn't really looked very good, at, you know, certainly the last 10 years. You know, So I think the fans may have to brace themselves for the fact that the Glazers might stay. And I think one thing that struck me yesterday when Man City announced their plans to extend the Etihad to 60,000 seats and have these artist impressions of what it looked like with this great, you know, arena next to it and everything. It, it looked amazing. The city of, over the years, Abu Dhabi have invested so much at that stadium that it, that it is now to, to the point where it's going to host games at Euro 2028 and Old Trafford isn't. Old Trafford is <laughs> it's a relic of the past and that's because the Glazers haven't spent any money on it. And it's, and it's similar with the team where they have invested in the team but a bit like 
Todd Bowley at Chelsea has made some bad decisions with coaches, with players, with, with contracts. So I don't think that they can, Joel and Abby can say, look, give us a chance because we know what we're doing. It's, it's our siblings that didn't know what they were doing. I, I just think they had too long of it. But unfortunately, I just don't see a way that they will offload the club if they're getting offers of investment from American investment banks because the idea of doubling the growth of the club over the years is, is, is just one of those things where you know, we've seen Super League come and go. We've seen other, the Premier League, you know, the, the kind of operation, whatever it was. All these things, that these big ideas. But at some point, one of these big ideas will come off because the big clubs with the big money are, are going to say, "Look, this needs to work for us." And one thing I've been told about streaming that eventually streaming rights will be will enable the likes of Man United and Liverpool to make an absolute killing on you know overseas rights. So, and potentially, you know, the FIFA Club World Cup is down the line as well. That might be more lucrative. So, there are ways down the line where. You can see Man United's growth and a lot of big clubs growth, you know, growing, doubling maybe, and that's what they want. But it's like chasing the rainbow, isn't it, with the Glazers? It's like, how long do they want? It's nearly 20 years now and it's, the, the debt is approaching a billion pounds. Mm, yeah, saga rumbles on, real succession vibes off it as the Glazer siblings try and decide who, who's going to do what. Uh, Mark, great stuff as always. Thanks so many for joining us this morning. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Brilliant. Mark Ogden there, senior writer with ESPN at 24 approaching on this Wednesday morning's OTPM. Delighted to have our own. Cameron Hill in studio with us now, beside myself and Ashling. Morning, Hello, Cameron. Morning, Ashling. How you doing? You've been on the uh, the Connacht beat, so Scott Fardy has uh, landed a big role, but it's also a big role for Connacht. So, uh, defence coach now at Connacht on a two year deal, um, an experienced individual to be to be thrown into that Connacht setup. This is a, a massively positive move, you'd imagine for for everyone in Connacht. Oh, it's a huge, huge appointment. I mean, um, Pete Wilkins, who is obviously going to be the head coach next year, is putting together a really strong ticket so Cullum Tucker who's the scrum coach um, at the moment he's staying on the scrum has been really really good for Connacht this year um, John Muldoon is coming back obviously a legend at the sports ground uh, former Connacht captain um, was in was at the helm when they won the Pro 12 but Scott Fardy you feel is different gravy again um, an illustrious career World Cup finalist um, in at Leinster for years and um, as Pete Wilkins said yesterday still very relatively new to the coaching game but he mentioned the winning culture I think that's what um, really stuck out especially to Pete Pete has mentioned it himself that um, this winning culture is what they're trying to bring into Connacht um, and I asked him yesterday if that's something that he felt was a problem at Connacht this year certainly it felt like um, in many many games they've been able to build a lead and maybe not um, maintain it they've kind of let teams come back in and Wilkins was sort of saying well yeah it's the consistency within performances within games that we're trying to improve um, wrestling back momentum keeping the standards up he mentioned the Cardiff game at the weekend and said um, that the team worked defensively very hard they worked very hard defensively but not necessarily smart and maybe that's what um, Scott Fardy is designed to bring in that sort of clarity of focus and that winning mentality closing out games that was one of the yeah. big things I always felt with Connacht that they'd get themselves in such a good position you know they'd be on to, to win by five or six and then come into the last five minutes it would just pull away from them and it, it seemed like it was a consistent thing within their game yeah yeah I mean the Zebra game from a few weeks back really sticks out in my mind because Connacht seemed to be very much in control of that match and then Zebrae came back and it looked like Zebrae were going to have this famous comeback victory now Connacht pulled away again but that has felt like a problem this year really really strong in one half and then not necessarily in the other Um, 
the game against Leinster is a, sticks out as well. And there have been a few performances like that that have been very disappointing from a Connacht standpoint, that when they're good, they're great, but sometimes when the wheels start to wobble, it completely comes off the track. There's also the point made by Scott Fardy yesterday in his quotes. He's talking about the the, the experience in the Connacht squad, but also the, the youth. There's a, there seems to be a nice blend heading into next season. I know it's, it's maybe a cliche to say it, but Connacht certainly have that balance of players with, the, with a little bit of experience and also players who have no fear because they're so young. Yeah, and the raft of um, contract extensions that have come out over the last while is great news for Connacht. Um, there are a few players departing. Adam Byrne um, of Leinster, of course, he's um, leaving at the end of the season. Didn't really quite work out for him at Connacht. Um, Kieran Fitzgerald, or Connor Fitzgerald, I should say, he was brilliant and he will be a bit of a loss to Connacht, I must say. Be interesting to see where he ends up. But the person the next person on the ticket who I'm really looking forward to seeing who Wilkins can bring in is a backs coach whether he's going to stick with the current regime or bring someone in because I still think Santi Cordero coming to Connacht is huge the Argent- Argentina international he is going to bring some amount of flair to this team and if he's managed right and they can bring together Mac and John Porch and Tiernan O'Halloran they could have a really, really potent back three next year. And that is really exciting from a Connacht perspective. So as you say, there's a lot of youth coming through, but it's the players that are there that are staying on and that feel like there's going to be something built next year. That's the stuff that would really light a fire under my Connacht. Um, my Connacht art. Is that the phrase? <laughs> <laughs> well, if, it's not a, if it's not a phrase, you've just invented a new one. So I, I Trademark that, Cameron. You can find a fire pit on your brain on Wednesday. That's I love a, it. Yeah, yeah. Stay, stay Adrian's close. here. That's the problem. <laughs> exactly, yeah. You're confused. You think it's the weekend. Uh, Cameron, great stuff. Thanks yeah. for, uh, for popping in. That's the news that Connacht have appointed. Former Leinster and Australia forward Scott Fardy as new defence coach on a two-year deal at 8.28am on Wednesday mornings at OTBM. Uh, time to turn our attention to Gaelic football. I'm delighted to have the former Mayo star David Brady on the line with us this morning. Morning, David. Morning, how's things? How are you keeping? Keeping well, keeping Hi. well. There's a few. There's how, few how are you, David? How are you? A few oh, areas. Good, thanks. We want to talk. We want to talk a, a different number of things with you, David. But of course, I did want to start with um, the story of the weekend in Monaghan. I'm going to get. I'm going to get criticised here. Why is Shane still talking about Monaghan? <laughs> it's Wednesday, but I don't care. What a game! What a game, David. You have every right to be still talking about it. I've been still thinking about it. Um, at one stage I think my wife turned around and said have we all played again this weekend because I was kind of roaring <laughs> and shouting and um, it was a, it was a, and people it was an absolutely fantastic game of football it had everything and again it had quality sometimes you see the, oh, it was a great game of football but they didn't they had no setup they had no structure it was it was the the, the real I think the, the ignition of, of the 2023 championship and well deserved and Phenomenal display in the way that Monaghan came back. Like the world, dead and buried. You're you're not buried on, if you come back. So they were dead and uh, five points down at half time. Uh, and again, uh, you know, you kind of put yourself in the situation. One on one. Well, you know, you're not really even one on one. There was there was two two backs converging, and you say, do I fist it over or do I just go for it? And it's natural, raw instinct sometimes um, that you just say low, hard, and what it produced was a, a, a dramatic a dramatic winner for Monaghan. It was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. 
It's funny that some people are actually saying that he took the wrong option. <laughs> I thought that is mad. Like the goal at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he took the wrong option. He, you know, he should have did the, this, played it safe and fisted it over the bar. David, for you as a manager, what do you make of that? Of people making those comments? You take. You know what? They're going to be right at some stage, at some time, and that's that, that's the problem. You're going. Oh, I told you. Remember that? You know. You, you, you go and people do say that players are are nearly robotic now. There's so many phases. They're 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 like robots rather than natural flair. And it was just that. And it is. It just. It comes down to this. It comes down to belief in yourself. But that just natural flair, whether it's out the back of your shed or the back house or the backfield, are in you know Flores are in. Uh, Oma, you're going, just, just, you know, my instinct says, just do this. And that's, that's, I think that's what it was. It was just pure, like, this is, this is a guy that was in his first championship, um, in his first championship game as well as such. Mm. You're going, pure and utter natural instinct and flair. And I think it's absolutely brilliant to see. And there's loads of experts that would have said, oh, fisted over percentages and this and that. They'll be right another day, but they were all wrong the last Sunday. Sometimes it is a case as well of of, of letting the shackles off. And Conor McManus kind of spoke after the match about that. He said, you know, at half time they realised they had to approach it differently. They had to play in the front foot, uh, attack the game, and just play with a little bit more freedom. And you could see that, like Carlo Connell's running game was brilliant. Stephen O'Hanlon was consistently taking players on. You know, beat Conor Myler for that lovely first Monaghan goal. There was just moments where the Monaghan players clearly decided, well, look, we're five points down. We might as well go for this. And it is, and it, sometimes and a game is very, very scripted at times and very cagey. And you say, oh, Hanlon just went and said, that's it. And sometimes it takes one player mm. to initiate that spark and saying, yeah, you know what? There was, there was, we, we, we kind of made inroads there. We, 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 we walked through them to a degree, but, um, it is that collective to saying it's, it's do or die. And that's the, that's the, the spirit of a team. And, and we've seen that spirit in Monaghan. Um, down in um, Hastings uh, Michael Park in the last league game where the hat it was backs to the wall it's it's you know and yeah they knew they knew they didn't know in the back of their mind there's another opportunity in the groups or whatever you take it in championship as it's 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 all or nothing and uh, they really did let themselves go and it is it is um, refreshing but they let themselves go but they didn't lose their structure against a, a, you know they didn't leave themselves wide open um, they worked hard they worked collectively. Um, d- defensively, they remain solid, but they really improved in their in their attacking structure, and that was the direct hard running um, a lot down the channels against against um, a Toronto team that you're going. Oh, at half time, yeah, impressive. These guys, Young Canavan, Derek Canavan, Rory Canavan, they were they were a formidable force, but they're only formidable when they're when they're on the front foot. We will get to the, the Galway Ross Common uh, semi final at the Hyde this, this weekend in, in, in just a bit, but that was something we wanted to touch on with you as well, David. The, the, I guess the five week gap for a team like Tyrone, and I don't think anybody is ruling Tyrone out of, out of being potential Sam Maguire contenders uh, at this stage uh, based off the weekend for sure. What, 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 what should happen now? Because there's a lot of talk about the training camps and, and teams heading away for, for a little number of days in the sun. Um, I don't know what Tyrone do now. Do players go back to club football? Five weeks is a long time to to, to be thinking with your with your thoughts. And, and Mayo are in the same boat. A long time, yeah. And again, uh, it's kind of now that everyone is kind of back to work. The the Easter break is kind of when a lot of teams pencil in the training camp. Mm. Um, the Curry team were in La Manga last week um, over and had a by all accounts a a very uh, productive. 
training camp. I got a, a few pictures back. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's that for me. And like Galway went, they flew out at four o'clock in the morning after the National League final defeat. They were over in Portugal, it was. Mm. So uh, again, it's you probably might have your own training camp. You might go internally in Ireland now. Give the you de- guys definitely need a break because it's been hard and heavy and consistent since December, you know, November, December, January, straight into the National League. Um, they need to recharge. Uh, a few of the male players went away and got a bit of sun from themselves. That they, they had that opportunity. Took everyone took the the ten days off or whatever. But uh, from a training camp, I think, and my personal experience, they're 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 brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant. But that that sense of dedicated time it was like this is this is us being professional to the highest degree you could possibly achieve by seven o'clock session. Right? You know, you'd have a prep session. You'd be going on the pitch at half seven in the morning. You might finish at half nine, have an ice bath, have a swim in the sea, um, then lounge, chill, maybe you do some group sessions between forwards and backs or midfielders. Um, you do some core rehab. Uh, you'd have some massage sessions. Then again, you'd have an active session at uh, about four or five o'clock when the sun gets a little bit a little bit um, less hot. And you'd, you'd be going again then, recovery, eating, You'll be eating two and a half, uh, three and a half, uh, four thousand calories a day nearly when you're when you're in a training camp because the amount of energy and calories you burn off. But it is the you know the big thing is the collective togetherness and the bond, the fun, the crack. Uh, I remember being on a training camp, and uh, I it was it was a, it was a get nobody drank, nobody drank in any way, shape, or form. But at around seven o'clock, some you could you could smell the aftershave passing the passing the apartment. Some of the young fellas were 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 happy to go out and have a have a few minerals and check out the check out the scenery with um with the eau de cologne on them. But uh, it was it was like all or nothing. You might have a, a a good one night at the end of it when it was um the shackles were let off, and that's important too from a from a team perspective. What's a better place to be in to be away on these training camps now, or to have meaningful matches, game time? Is that more important or? Is it to have those five weeks as a collective? Um, good question, but you're kind of going and you're probably in, you're, you're, I think Galway would be in a very good place um, because they had that opportunity to, uh, as we call it, in, after defeat, to spit it out, uh, get up and get on with it. They did that the next morning, that have talked, that have reviewed, and that have parked it, never to be, never to be focused on again. Um, and again, they had a full, a full week's training. Curry will have a, a good collective um, session together, and again, a lot of it is on the kind of the tactical part, or defensive, or kickouts, or you know certain plays. But there's nothing beats actually nothing, nothing beats winning, and that's that's what's important. And a lot of teams, your own team this weekend meet, you know they're playing awfully. If you can get a win under your belt, everything that's happened in the last four weeks or four months can nearly be. Um, put to bed, but you could you focus on the positives? And again, you look at you look at um, Roscommon coming into this to, to this to this game, uh, Connacht semi final against Galway. They're buoyant, they're they're full of confidence, rightly so. And uh, it's it's again, it's a weekend. What is there nine or ten games? It's mm. it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it'll be. Um, I I need to take one day off because um, it <laughs> is jam packed. It is jam packed, and it's great. It's great, and I love it, and it's 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 great for GA for GA people. 
Yes, yeah, so, so you, you mentioned jam parts just to run people through the fixtures. So on Saturday we have the Connacht uh, semi-final, the first one up, Sligo, New York, and Markovic Park from half two. Uh, the two Munster Senior Football Championship semi-finals are also on Saturday evening, four o'clock at Fitzgerald Stadium, Kerry Tip, and then from seven p.m. at the TUS Gaelic Round, it's Limerick against Clare, and you've Kevin Armagh in the Ulster quarter-final at Kingspan Breffney uh, from half past six on Saturday. Then on Sunday, the big one we're going to talk about in just a second, Roscommon Galway at Dr Hyde Park, four o'clock in the Connacht uh, semi-final. Uh, you have the four Leinster Senior Football Championship quarterfinals, two o'clock Westmeath against Louth at Park Talton. You have at half two Kildare taking on Wicklow. That's at Netwatch Cullen Park. Uh, from half three, Leash against the Dubs. That is at Leash Higher O'Murr Park. And at four p.m., as uh, David mentioned, Offaly Meath at Lenisk O'Connor Park. And in the Ulster quarterfinal, the, uh, the final one at Park Esler in Newry Down taking on Donegal. That is at two o'clock on Sunday. Uh, but we do want to touch on Roscommon Galway, of course, David, with yourself. Um, really, really looking forward to this, this semi-final. Like, Roscommon no longer under any sort of radar, because I think that seems to be a phrase that's bandied about for Roscommon, but uh, a brilliant league campaign, got their six points on the board early, uh, and then, of course, that, that uh, win over, over Mayo and Castlebar. Whereas Galway, you know, coming off the back of that league final defeat, you wonder where they're at, but they have that strength and depth this year. So whose camp would you rather be in ahead of Sunday? It works to be honest. You know that's you're kind of going, you know, in the in the mindset, in the the the, the momentum, and with their 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 kind of positivity. Uh, there's a lot of there's. It's all pointing towards Roscommon, uh, and again, under the radar is is you know for me when they they, they demolished uh, Johnny Gall in the last league game in, mm. in Hyde Park. Um, I think it was something like 13, 14 points to bet them by. Um, that was an indicator that um, they were really up there. They finished third in, in the league. But the performance in Castle Bar against Mayo National League champions was, it was, um, it was very rounded. And again, very structured. Uh, very structured, but it had a, a, an air of, of uh, kind of... Uh, yeah, that's kind of they had a ferocity. They had a kind of the broader tenacity to the game that uh, the need the need to to bring to the game again uh, against Galway probably that have to be restrained to a degree. Um, it will be conditions are, are promised to be um, warm and bright. Um, so you know from a slick forward uh, Galway forwards, it will be a it will be a challenge. But they're set up perfectly from a defensive point of view. Um, and I, I do think I do think it is going to be a, a really really tight game. Uh, Galway, you know, again you have Comer coming back. Um, he, uh, Damon Comer, he hasn't had a lot of ball. He, he got a, a very nasty injury during the during the National League. Mm. Um, Shane Walsh has played damn all. Like mm-hmm. the reality is, if if Galway had got their 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 free taken, their forty fives, their long range. Um, to a to a to a percentage of eighty percent that they they would have um, the beat mail, um, and that was probably what where where they let them down. Shane has done uh, after the, the All Ireland club uh, went off uh, traveling for himself, took a break, came back, integrated slowly, and uh, the best the best of him is 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 really going to start coming from from this week onwards. He's had that training camp, he's had that opportunity to have a full week's focus, and uh, I think he'll be. He'll be um, he'll be at, at, a, at a different level come come Sunday. Another player that I'm really excited to see this season, David, is Matthew Tierney. Just what he can do, you know, a young player, 
but I feel like it's this year or next year that he's really going to explode onto the scene and we're really going to see this big player that he can be. And he has every attribute, especially his 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 hands and his pace and it's that kind of, you know, lightning quick on the ball, but, you know, also kind of a, a great a great headroom for a young, you know, for a young man. And uh, again, you have that, like the Rob Finnerty's inside him, um, you have Comer, you have Walsh, um, you know, uh, Johnny Heaney was 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 for me is is always a fulcrum uh, from a Galway perspective. Got a bad injury against Mayo, but he'll be back. He'll be back to his uh, to his best. And you have the experience of of, of Paul Conroy and that and go around around the middle. And it is like these players, these players, um, they're special players. And again, it, it comes from the kind of conveyor belt. And the conveyor belt from a Galway perspective was the under twenties, um, younger guys coming up and. Uh, no, it's that conveyor belt is is uh, is coming to fruition, and that's that's very important, very important in accounting. You can see it again from a Sligo perspective. Uh, they have beaten they have beaten uh, Roscommon, they've beaten Mayo, and you can see the the continuation and, and development, and and that's what's coming to the fore in um, in the Galway team as well, and under the management now of Porrick Joyce, but previously under himself um, in another age, and that's. That's vital, and yet if you can kind of bring that continuum of uh, advancement and uh, development and integration to senior football, it stands to a manager, but it stands to a team also. We spoke about the kickouts. I think the the last day after the the Roscommon Mayo match, and that that certainly was another thing that, that cropped up at the weekend between Tyrone and Monaghan. The to watch that battle between Nell Morgan and Rory Began, even just them, themselves defending kickouts as well as kicking them, it was quite fascinating to watch. Um, and we know goalkeepers are, are changing. Conor McManus, I think, described Rory Began as a quarterback uh, after the match, and, and we saw his ball in for, for that first Monaghan goal. It, it, like Roscommon won seven of their nine first half kickouts against Mayo the last day, going long. Now the conditions will obviously have dictated Roscommon's decision maybe to go long uh, in some occasions. But how important is that midfield battle? Because because you'd imagine Roscommon might might try something different against Galway. Uh, they might, but again, uh, I can see the game becoming uh, not very defensive. It, it's it's not that's not being disrespectful or negative, but it, there is there is merits for, to keeping a game tight and keeping it defensive. And from a Roscommon point of view, yes, they went long on 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 nearly every occasion mm. because they had the confidence. If you know what you're doing before you're doing it, you're halfway there, no matter what the result is. And again, if you know you're going long, you know you're going to a, a certain area of the pitch. Um, and again, it, it gives you that opportunity to have your defence set up. Tyrone have 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 uh, have shown um, that as a, the the number one modus operandi was to have a fixed defensive structure rather than have it you know short and working it out from the back and being disjointed and maybe open, having ga- gaps opened up if the ball is turned over. Um, Began uh, Morgan the last day was just absolutely brilliant. The kickouts has changed. The, the whole dynamic of game football, whether it's your you know six seconds on the tee, you have a ball left or right, so that can that can gain half a second to you. The ball is on the tee and it's gone again. Or your the runs that guys make, or the pockets that they want to fill, the space they want to leave. If a team pushes up on a forty-five or pushes up from a a twenty-five yard free kick, we're going long. We're trying to go over the top. We're trying to create an overload. We're trying to create what you might call three or four pillars on the left-hand side. Galway are very good at, at, at very good at um, from their long kickouts, creating a, a three or four-man uh, pod. 
uh, and again, they have they have the, the the strength, they have the physicality, but also they have the runners off, and that's again, it's 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 not to everyone's cup of tea, but um, it's becoming very much a tactical battle um, from from a GA perspective on the kickouts, and again, the keepers coming up, and again, a few fourteen men, fifteen men in defence. Um, you're going to have you you know if the defend the team you're playing against has fifteen defending in the forty five. How do you break them down? Um, you're going to have to keep someone back because you just can't you can't leave the house and the doors open. Um, <laughs> but again, the goalkeepers coming into these plays, they can create that overlap. They can create that, especially if a team is playing a plus one, means they have someone sitting back. So the the uh, the goalkeepers can be that key that opens up the avenues and opens up um, opportunities for runners. And it's that's that's it's a, it's a fifteen man it's a fifteen man game now, surely. And that's. That's it's. I think it's great to see that goalkeepers have. Um, I said it to a man. I'd say about fourteen years ago. I says, I don't know why goalkeepers. And he said, you're mad. Um, but goalkeepers have have always had a role to play. Maybe we 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 kind of pigeonhole them. Just stay in your line, do your job, and you'll be okay. But it has it has changed, and they're now they're now a, a key a key part of teams. Just on that, David, on how the game has evolved, it's constantly changing. There was comments during the week that football, to be an inter-county footballer nowadays, you don't need to be this skillful footballer anymore. You, you need to be more of an athlete. That that would make it quicker onto a county team than a really skillful footballer. What do you make of comments like that? You always need to be, you always need to have, you know, some degree of, of skill. You always needed to have some degree of athleticism. Now, the athleticism we see in county football now is phenomenal. The 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 composition is phenomenal. The 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 way they're you know they're mechanically structured, physically the 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 metrics and it is there is a lot of metrics in GEA now. Whether it's you know high velocity meters or high intensity meters, total distance. Actually, it comes down to one thing. What you're able to do with the ball in your hands, you'll get it for seven, nine, twelve times max nearly in a game. It's what you do with it. Um, yes, upstairs for thinking, but you have to have that natural raw ability. Just you know, um, that that, and we've seen it, and it always it always comes to the top. Maybe in lesser counties, you know, if if you haven't got the quality, well then the quantity is get as many fit guys, get as many athletes as we can in. But you'll always see it come semi-finals and finals, whether it's the Shawnee O'Shea's or the Clifford's or the Shane Walsh or the Damian Comers or the 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 Killian O'Connor's or the Aidan O'Shea's. And you'll always have that natural raw ability that will always be there from 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 top footballers. And it, it, it's even you know, I'm here in in, in Castlenock. Right? You'd walk across the road and you'd see young twelve-year-olds, or and you kind of go and just have a look at these. And you can you can pick out the guys. You can pick out the guys that has natural raw ability that looks comfortable on the ball, does something going, yeah, that was nice. Um and that's that's always going to be there and it should be always it should be always, I suppose, nourished and um yeah. appreciated. And it's 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 um yeah, you you need a mix of both, but uh, natural natural will always win. Yeah, really looking forward to this weekend's action. Home advantage for us coming as well, although we've, we've seen in yeah. Oma and Castlebar in the last couple of weeks that home advantage doesn't always count for everything. In two words, David, which two counties are going to be contesting the Connacht final this year? Sligo and the Rossies. <laughs> Ooh, he's gone for it. 
Neck Hesitation. Head firmly above I, the parapet. I've got a lot of stick over the last two weeks. I deserve it. But no, <laughs> the Rossies are probably going, oh, no, we're, we're doomed. This is, this is your mea culpa. Listen, David, yeah. <laughs> appreciate your time as always. Thanks many, David. See you, Shane. See you, Thanks, see. David. Great stuff. Uh, 8.50 a.m. on this uh, Wednesday morning's OTBM. It is now time for John Duggan's Virtual Insanity. You have entered Power Drive. Oh, wow! John Duggan, good morning. Shane and Ashley, how are we doing? Keeping well, keeping John. well. What's, what's taking your eye this week? <laughs> one bullet in the chamber, in the revolver, one bullet in the gun, one player this week, and it's not on the PJ Tour, which is the team event, which is the New Orleans uh, team event. I don't like that event. Um, but I do think, say in the next three years, right, so there's five majors in the women's game in the LPJ Tour, uh, you'd have to think Leona Maguire is going to win one of the next 15. Mm. Would you agree? Maybe, Surely. Maybe one of the next 10. It's coming. It has it's to coming. Be. Like, yeah. This was the best player in the world as an amateur. She's had a meteoric rise through the rankings up to 15 in the world now. Look at that rookie performance in the Solheim Cup. Won on the PJ Tour for the first time last year, the LPJ Tour. Of all our tournaments last year, 33% of the time she was in the top 10. Yeah. She's had a couple of top 10s earlier this season and she lines up in the first major of the year which is the Chevron Championship which has been played in Texas uh, from tomorrow. It's at a course nobody's seen before, Jack Nicholas designed course near Houston but she's 50 to 1. And I think like she, it might not be this week for her but I do think if you're going to be loyal to Leona Maguire I do think you're going to make a bit of money out of it. So 10 each way of virtual money at 50 to 1 for Leona. One bullet in the chamber. Uh, for Leona this week and I, th- I do think that what I really like about Leona Maguire uh, going forward in majors folks is that she's got such a, a smart head about her in terms of course management mm. and discipline and improving her game and I just think she's really equipped for the major scene and we saw how well she played at the Women's British Open last year was in the top five and I think whether it's this week or not because the course is quite long and that might not suit her I think she'll be definitely there in the major um, championship leaderboards this year because I think she's got the mind for it I think she's going to be winning majors soon I think 50 to 1 not a bad bet this week each way yeah, the big thing about Leona, as you said, it's the the, man, the mind management. Like the, the Women's Irish Open last year, she had a bad day, second day out, a really bad day, but she bounced back the third day and she got a top 10 finish that day when it, it didn't look likely whatsoever. So yeah, it is. it feels like it's coming. It feels like it's really yeah. building for her. Could be a big weekend for Calvin. Calvin playing our man, Leona Maguire maybe winning mm-hmm. as well. Could be a fun one for them. Yeah. But the time we blinked, though, the whole... Provincial Championship would be over. I'm just going through the amount of games around this weekend. Like, it's insane, isn't like, it? Compared to the two well, last well, well, how are you supposed to get a narrative or get a get a sense of story out of anything? That's what annoys me about the whole thing. So, so there will be stories. There'll be three to five to ten stories this weekend, mm. which we won't be able to get to breathe around. Like, there's nothing going on this morning in sport. There's nothing going on. There's like Chelsea last night, Drogba's comments. Uh, you've got Manchester City tonight. But there's nothing really in the mix of the story about the GPA. Whereas this weekend, you've so many Gaelic Games matches and we won't be able to digest them by the time we get to the next round of matches. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think that's wrong. I think there's something wrong about that in terms of the calendar, the way these games are too thinly spread. 
And it um, probably gives the games time to breathe. Like we're, we're all talking about the Tyrone Monon match, A, because it was brilliant, but B, because probably it had that space to breathe. There was only and, two games. Yeah, there was nothing else to talk about, so it, it gave a focus to, to some yeah. brilliant football as well. Like the dubs are in action this weekend. We've got Leinster and Munster Hurling. We've got Dan against Donegal. We have Ross Common against Galway. These are all brilliant matches. New York. Yeah, there'll be things that'll happen and there'll be things that we will just miss because of that. So um, that kind of, I, I just find it a bit frustrating, but that's today's rant out of the way. I love it. Well, that, it should be a sponsored slot by this stage, John. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think when you get to a certain age, you get very grumpy, don't you? And uh, all you do is become grumpy every single day. It's all day. ahead of us, Ash. <laughs> well, no, yeah, don't, bring the youth. Don't, don't, get, don't get into the time travel machine just yet. <laughs> we'll hold off. Uh, John, what else is happening? Uh, not much, really. Um, Look, Chelsea just, you could expect last night that they were going to be picked off. Uh, I think, look, the damage was done in the first leg. But November 1993 was the last time they uh, lost four consecutive games in all competitions. That's 30 years ago, near, nearly 30 years ago. Uh, Manchester City got a clean bill of health. You can't imagine they're going to mess it up uh, this time around. I think they'll be in that semi-final against Real Madrid. Manchester City, who go to Munich with a 3-0 advantage. And Haaland, I think, has been a huge part of that. He's got, what, 32 goals now in the Premier League, 47 goals in all competitions this Not season. Yeah. It's amazing, really. And, uh, you know, you'd have to think he might be the man. He might be the, the missing link to get Guardiola finally over the line for the Champions League final. I was reading yesterday that they're not sure if it'll actually be held in Istanbul because there's an election there and there could be a little bit of civil unrest rumoured. Um, you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. But, um, yeah, there's not much happening in, in the middle of the week. Whereas, and there's some brilliant writing today. There's Dara Shea and the Dubs, and there's Gordon Darcy on Leinster and all that kind of thing in the papers and the Irish Times, and um, really good writing. But uh, a little bit of a lull in the week before we get into. You the don't feel the games. championship buzz, John. Um, I think I'll feel it when I when I watch the hurling. I think the hurling. I think the big thing for me about the championship is jeopardy. And what I want to see is the jeopardy in the mm, championship. Yeah. So I'm waiting for the jeopardy. I think we're going to get that quite quickly in the Leinster hurling and Munster hurling championships. Yeah. I think the format for the round robin is very, very good. Um, I understand like a day like, I know you're both at the game in Oma. There is a very much of the moment. It's brilliant for Monaghan to win. But then they've got to go and they've got to do um, uh, another two times now. And then they're into a round robin. And, you know, the, the, the football championship is long. And yeah. it's long, and it's, it's long, and we're um, existing in it, I suppose, as opposed to living in it. Mm. Whereas I think the hurling championship would be living in the hurling championship quite soon. I think it's going to take up a lot of the oxygen in terms of the coverage of it because you can't cover everything. And Leinster are playing in the Champions Cup semi final on s- Saturday week, and we got the conclusion of the Premier League season. So um, I just worry, from as a true Gale, which I am, and I'm a massive GA fan, um, that they'll be a little bit lost in terms of the narrative in certain things because you can't have your attention on every single thing. Mm. Like Tipperary Waterford um, didn't get really any coverage there recently in, in the football and it was a really good match. So um, that's my little bit of a worry about um, even though the provincial championships are just almost there mm. and existing. And if you took them out, you'd have time for teams to breathe and you'd have time for them to plan for a round-robin series, whether it's Talton Cup or, or Sam Maguire Cup. I just feel at the moment you have this competition plunged into the middle here uh, with not much on it uh, unless you're a county like Sligo that you know be a really big deal if they won the, the Connacht Championship. Oh, well, what if you didn't have an Ulster Championship? Well, this is it, 100%. <laughs> well, Saving football once again, John. I don't know about that. I don't know about <laughs> that. Not quite, not quite. Uh, um, Tongue-in-cheek there, obviously. Yeah, course. but no, but look, it's a, look, on the day, it's great for Monaghan on the day and it says a lot about where Monaghan are at. I think it was an important win for Monaghan. It was a great finish. Like They were behind going into injury time. Um, and it was really well taken. The goal was it um, Ryan O'Toole? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the, the, uh, you can see on the day, but 
in the grand scheme of things, does it matter that much when you're, you could see these counties facing each other again down in the, in the round robin? You know, maybe not exactly Tyrone versus Monaghan, but two similar counties. Monaghan will have to play another three games mm. in the round robin, whatever happens now in the rest of the Ulster Championship. Yeah, 100%. And, and if they win the Ulster Championship, they don't want to even have time to celebrate. Yeah, you're straight into it. Yeah, it's all uh, it's all go. John, great all to right, have folks. Us Thanks a million. Thanks, John. 8.58 approaching on this Wednesday morning's OTBM listening in there. Uh, the Glen Senior Football Manager, Maliki O'Rourke. Very good morning, Maliki. How are things? Morning, Jim. Are you are you excited for the for the championship? As excited as we are, John mentioned the word jeopardy there. Uh, I mean, it was a brilliant game between Tyrone and Monaghan last weekend. Maybe that jeopardy is lacking, but but certainly it, uh, the match itself was far from lacking. Yeah, it was it was very exciting. I suppose it wasn't in keeping with the the two previous games in those the championship, but uh, no, it's it, it sort of uh, a game. I suppose it lost all structures. It went along as well in, in in the second half and towards the end, and that made it more exciting. But uh, there's no doubt uh, from a modern point of view, you know, it was a brilliant day. And I suppose at half time it didn't look likely. It looked as if Tyrone were, were in control of the game a wee bit. And uh, so now, second half now, definitely the, those obviously massive positives for, for Monon and they got the, the result they wanted. And uh, I suppose a lot of questions for Tyrone. It followed that trend of a lot of those Monaghan Tyrone matches that you would have uh, overseen when you were Monaghan manager. Um, similar kind of uh, back and forth. It's always going to be a point or two between the two teams either way at the end of it. Um, were you confident before the match that, that Monaghan could get the job done? Because it wasn't like they were uh, being written off by any stretch of the imagination. But but I guess that the vibe was it's Tyrone and Omad. They've had a, a good end to the league. Uh, and certainly they were favourites for most people heading into the match. Yeah, that's right. And I suppose um, Tyrone there seemed to be... Um, a, a good vibe and, and a feel-good factor about Tyrone the way they ended the league. Uh, Mon, on the other hand, I suppose it's well documented that they're they're missing a couple of players. You know, obviously Niall Cairns and, and Ryan McInnes are travelling this year, um, and then a number of fellas injured and, and one thing or another. So probably went into the game that that Tyrone were the favourites, uh, which probably wasn't a bad way for Mon to go into the game. Uh, having said that. Um, I suppose then at half time it looked a wee bit, even though there the was a, a bit of a wind, it looked as if Tyrone were, were in control to some degree. Uh, but in fairness to Monon, they, they really turned it around at half time. They obviously were disappointed with the way they played in the first half and, and felt they hadn't got to the pitch of the game and they, they hadn't displayed the, the energy that they wanted and so on. So, uh, you know, second half was, was much better and the, the game really turned on its head in the second half. And uh, as I say, it, it, it left Mullen obviously delighted with the way things were going, but Tyrone then would, would be asking themselves questions as to, as to how they lost it as well. We've mentioned many times this morning, Rhino O'Toole and, and how he took that goal, Maliki. You as a manager... What did you make of his decision making? Should he have fisted it over the bar, or what do you think? <laughs> yeah, it was a. It was a. Uh, I suppose you could you could argue both ways, and probably Ryan and and listen to a couple of his interviews after the game. It was just very much that he sort of is is keen just to to grab his chance to to seize the moment, if you like, and probably a more experienced player would have would have been looking at the bigger picture and felt looking. I don't want to take a chance here; I'll just pop it over the bar and, and we'll we'll you know go into extra time. Ryan just probably that that uh, his mindset was look, it's an opportunity for me to take my chance. And I suppose the other thing was, unlike other other times that that chance would arise, you'd usually be under pressure. He actually had a lot of time, and uh, there was nobody really putting him under pressure. He actually could have brought a wee bit closer, but 
he he took the shot, and uh, I suppose all the time when you when you you're talking the forwards in particular, when you get in a chance to get you you want to hit it low and hard because obviously it's hard for the keeper to get down. That's what he did, and obviously had a had a, a brilliant outcome. I think um, Conor McManus took nine shots in the match and all nine went over. Eight of them, albeit from freeze, uh, and, but it included that that unbelievable point from play in the first half and the, the ridiculous free at the end of the hands from, from the 45-metre line. Um, like there's a famous clip of, of, of Conor McManus in Hilly Park in Oma a couple of years ago scoring that un- unbelievable point from the sideline. And I think the camera then pans uh, to yourself, Maliki, and you're literally just no emotion. It was one of those things where like I've seen this a million times already in yeah, training. I'm used like, this, to is, this is normal. <laughs> so... Like, it's probably no surprise that that Connor just keeps doing what he's doing. No, and and that's it. And I suppose it, he puts in the work. He he's doing that for years and years. And and behind the scenes, he he puts so much effort into that. Uh, you know, into um, honing his craft, if you like. And and uh, and the other big thing that you know I've said before is that no better man in that situation. He wants that that opportunity. It's not as if he's he he's hesitating or he wants to give it to somebody else. You know, in those clutch moments, you don't want anyone else with the ball. Only Connor and his kicking was top class, and even the score he got from play in, in, in the first half was mm. was excellent as well. But I think that's one of the areas that that I suppose Tyrone will be uh, annoyed about. That they had they had so much possession, and I thought in the first half when they were on top, I thought their 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 execution at times wasn't great, and and even the shot selection, you know, wasn't great at times. I thought they were kicking from you know angles that. They, they, they could have worked it in closer to goals, you know. And and, and uh, in the first half, I think they had something like maybe sixteen uh, shots at goal and converted nine were from play. Whereas, whereas Monon maybe had about three, so Monon were far more efficient. Um, and and I suppose that continued to a degree in in the second half as well. Even though Monon had more chances, but that'll be something that that uh, would be disappointed about. It's something obviously that 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 Vinny and the boys will have to look at as well, and that. Tyrone did get create an awful lot of chances in the first half. Uh, Monon weren't putting enough pressure on them at that stage. Um, and then on, on the other hand, um, Tyrone will be disappointed with the amount of freeze to give. A, as you say, uh, Monty got nine freeze, I think it was. So, so as I say, both teams will 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 there will definitely be areas both teams will be looking at. It was obviously a protracted process um, in hiring Vinnie Corey. It seemed to take quite some time in Monaghan and, and a lot of counties, I think, are struggling to to get managers on board at the moment. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of a lot of things to consider for them in their personal lives. Um, but but Vinnie Corey is someone I, you would have managed at county level. So is it any surprise to you whatsoever, given his, his leadership skills, that he that he has the job at this stage and that he's already got a championship win under his belt? No, it's 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 not really. Vinny always stood out as someone who 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 commanded serious respect in the change room, and and every time he spoke, everybody listened. You know, because they knew that he was talking sense, and that he you know he, he took the emotion out of it. That that he you know he he was a great leader. So so from that point of view, it, it, it is no surprise. I suppose I, I know I think Vinny would feel the same thing. He probably was a wee bit surprised that it happened so quick. First of all, probably when when uh, Banty took the job, you know, a few years ago, probably Vinny wasn't really expecting to, to to be involved in that. And then when he was, I think after after that he ended, um, it probably wasn't on his radar, immediate radar, to 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 take over the job. But I think the more it went on, and he, and he he saw that uh, you know it, it, there was nobody really coming in and take job. I think it was more a case that Vinny felt that look, I'm not, I'm, he didn't want to be. Sit and, and and watch it, you know, things unfold or anything else. And he just felt that even though maybe in, in a perfect world he would have waited a few years, 
he just felt the time was right. And as well as that, I think people from the outside maybe had got the wrong opinion. You know, the, the, maybe would have felt that the, the Monon team was coming to the end. And I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I know that there, there are obviously Connor and, and Darren Hughes, Carla Connell, a few of those boys are, are you know, coming obviously the end of their, their careers. But there's an awful lot of young, good young players. There's a lot of fellas sort of the mid-age range as well. So there's there's a lot of quality players there. And, and you know, they've, they've over the years, they've been used to a, to a, a, a good setup and, and a good environment where they, they really want to achieve things. And, and uh, you know, so, no, it's a healthy environment there. And Vinny knew that from been involved in the last that you know the last few years as well that there was a lot of good players there and, and I suppose that's ultimately then why he, he stepped in you're probably the perfect man to ask about the Monaghan Derry match given your your you know a lot of the the players on both sides um how do you see that one going it's a big task for Rory Gallagher but it's one of those games we saw Monon and Derry last year in that game in the Athletic Grounds in Armagh cracking game Derry get over the line by by a few points three or four points I think it was in the end uh, how do you think this one's going to go yeah, I suppose um, it, it 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 won't be as open. I wouldn't think as the as the Tyrone Monon game. That game sort of lost its its shape towards the end, in particular. So I think Derry will be a lot more structured. Do will make it a lot more difficult for for uh, the Monon forwards to, to operate in. Um, and then Derry as well, are, are, you know, they're, they're they're playing very well. You know, their teamwork in the forward line is very good. They're they're able to create scores. Um, you know, and. and uh, no, a, a lot of team scores rather than individual scores. Um, so look at you know, obviously Derry will go into the game as, as favourites, um, and you know they've they've pushed on from last year. Um, Mon on the other hand, I suppose have, have have lost a couple of the players that they had last year. Having said that, you know the the, the boost Monon got from 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 uh, beating. Um, Tyrone will be massive to them, so it, it's it's set up really well, you know, and it's it, it it is a very hard one to call, you know, if 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 um, I, 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 there's no doubt that Monon will have to be uh, be stronger defensively, you know, even last year they conceded was it three goals to Derry, you know, so but uh, no, look at you'd have to say Derry are the favourites on 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 form at the minute, you know, but uh, you know I think it's it, it, it's it's going to be a great semi final. It might come down to injuries as well, like Chrissy McKay, a little bit unsure about him. He came off. Connor Glass as well. Maliki, obviously, you know Connor well. Has he really got the the time off? That's sort of what I look at Connor now, like the massive performances that he was always putting in. We haven't seen him reach those heights in recent games. And I often look and go, did he have any time to mm-hmm. to relax, to chill out, to, you know, to recuperate from such a long season? Yeah, well, I suppose um, Rory wanted them back in fairly, fairly quickly, and look at he is he had his reasons for doing that. Obviously, so that that's that's his decision. Um, but no, just to, to your point, Ashton, about the the injuries, you know, I, I did like in the match against Dublin in the league final. It was noticeable, obviously, that when Connor went off, Dublin got, got uh, you know a couple of other goals. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, on Saturday as well against Fermanagh, when he went off, that was the time that 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 Fermanagh got the goals. Um, Chrissy McKeague didn't play against against Dublin, and then I, I did notice on, on against Fermanagh as well on the the two goals that Fermanagh got. Chrissy was actually doing a man marking job on Alton Kelm and was actually 
had followed him out the field, so he wasn't in 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 the area where the the ball came in and where the goal was scored. Um, so I think you know it, it's it, the two boys are vital to their defensive effort, and 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 Connor I think is is it's sort of sometimes a lot of his work goes unnoticed as well, and that it, it's it's not sort of that flamboyant stuff around the middle of the field and going forward at times. Although he is very good at that as well, it's just a very unselfish role he plays for the team. He gets back and and, and mm. fills that space in front of the goals. He's very good at reading it he just doesn't stand there he, he's, he's quick to come out he's quick to double up on players uh, the, obviously he's good on the high ball and he's good at just getting his, his hand in so he is you know he, he's a key player for them and uh, so obviously and that that's the thing you know I suppose with, with, with the, the, the way the season is and I suppose it's the problem, you know, in some ways with, with all the Ulster teams, you know, the Ulster Championship is so competitive. To win the Ulster Championship, you have to play two or three high octane games. Uh, and that only gets you then to the, to the group stages like everybody else. Uh, you then have to play three games in that. You might have to play another game to get you through to a, to a, a quarter final, which I think is the first weekend in July. So you have a, you have a serious amount of, of of games to play to get that far, and as, as you say, we're already talking about teams picking up injuries. So what's it going to be like, you know, six eight weeks down the line? And mm-hmm. I think that that is one thing that's going to have a a, a major impact on, on the championship this year. Of course, and, and it'll just be a case of which team judges at best and nobody really knows the answer at this stage but the teams that, that arrive at, at a quarter final weekend freshest with all their main players on board are obviously going to have an advantage uh, as long as they have an undercooked and as long as they have enough hard games behind them so it's, it, at this stage it's very hard to know what's the best route uh, and, and I suppose only time will tell I, I don't think we've been chatting to you Maliki since the, since the, uh, the All-Ireland Club final and the the madness that ensued the 16 men of Kilmacud Croaks and I know your your reaction immediately after the match was got disappointment I, I guess first of all based on the results but then over the following days and, and even weeks just the story grew legs and uh, seemed to drag on forever how do you feel about the whole thing now? Yeah it was it was disappointing the way it ended up but you know I suppose uh, you just at this stage we've, we've got over it we've parted and we've just moved on you know and uh, I suppose it doesn't serve much purpose uh, keeping on talking about it on else. But I suppose just at, at the time, um, it, it you know we were disappointed with the way it ended up. And I, I suppose immediately after the game, if if, if uh, the GA would have came in or, or Kilmacud would have said, you know, we, we realised that it, it wasn't the way the game was supposed to finish, uh, and and offered a replay, I suppose you you would have had the. Uh, think about it seriously then, you know, and, and, and possibly go for it. But once it dragged on and that wasn't the case, it, it, it was never going to be, you know, it, 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 you know, we were going to get nothing from it at that stage. And it, you know, it, to play the game at, at a later date when it, when there was no appetite for it, it wasn't going to serve anybody any good. So we just, you know, I think the club made the right decision and just, uh, just said, no, look, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it and, and, and move on. Yeah, there was a lot of drama around it, but I often thought it must have been so difficult for you as, a, you as manager, for the players, for the supporters, for the for the club and Kilmacud as well. I just thought for the, the players and everybody involved in it, it must have been quite a difficult time. 
Yeah, it, it was in a way, although I suppose there was a lot of noise going on outside and it's, it's like anything in the club, but it's like preparing for games or anything else. You just have to sort of divorce yourself from that and, and, and stay in your own bubble. And I think the club were very strong and, that the, you know, straight away the, the club came out and said, look, we, we take our lead from from the players and management. You know, we back you 100%. And that's what the club did. And, and the club was really, really strong. And they said, look, whatever, whatever you used to say, we're prepared to back you. And the club were very united on it. And right from the word, go, you know, we said look, whatever's the best thing for the club it doesn't matter really what anybody else says or what anybody else's viewpoint is, is on it, that's really, it's, it's immaterial to us, it was a case of whatever's the best thing for the for the club going forward and, and, and that's what we based every decision on and that's, that's uh, I suppose in the end of that's why we, we took the decision we did Well, uh, I think the GA, a bit of grudge matches you know, never, never goes too far it always helps the interest so maybe next year we can get a uh, a rematch, Kill McCord Glenn, and uh, there'll be a bit of build up <laughs> to that one, no doubt. Malachy, brilliant stuff as always. Thanks a million for your time. Not at all. Thanks, Shane. See you, Ashley. Thanks, Malachy. 9.14am approaching on uh, Wednesday morning's OTB AM. Here are some highlights on the OTB Podcast Network for you across today. We'll have, of course, last night's news round, Rugby Daily, and the football show as well with uh, Dan McDonnell. You can follow OTB across social and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network. After these ads, the counter-pressed podcast, Jesse Parker Humphreys, and our own Kathleen McNamee will uh, join us to, uh, to discuss tonight's WSL action. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. 9.17am on this Wednesday morning's OTB AM and uh, we're going to turn our attention to the uh, WSL. Loads of action to look forward to and Champions League action as well this week. Jesse Parker Humphreys from the Counter Press Podcast joins us on the show this morning. Morning Jesse, how are things? I think we're on mute there, but uh, we'll get you. We'll pick you up in just a second. You might be on mute. It might be on our end. We'll we'll figure it out. Uh, we have Kathleen McNamee in studio with us as well. Morning, Kathleen. Morning, guys. How are things? Yeah, good. You said uh, we're looking forward to the WSL and Champions League this week. I I don't know. Am I looking forward You're nervous. to? <laughs> Very nervous. Well, like United tonight for Arsenal and then Wolfsburg at the weekend. It's not exactly a, an easy run of games. Mm. We no. do we do have Jesse Parker Humphries, I think, back uh, to discuss that game and uh, plenty else happening this week. Jesse, sorry, we we lost you there just for just a second, but um, looking forward to this one tonight, Manchester. United hosting Arsenal first against third it's uh, it's going to be a cracker yeah I think it's going to be a really really exciting game um, it'd be very intriguing to see how both teams deal with the with the pressure of this one you know two teams I think who've not been in this position of, of having the opportunity to win the WSL in, in quite some time obviously United never really being in that position um, they're coming off the back of, of reaching their first ever FA Cup final from from the weekend and then Arsenal kind of have that is it a distraction? Is it a motivation of the Wolfsburg game at the weekend? United weren't all that impressive in the in the win over Brighton at the weekend. There's certainly things uh, for, for Mark Skinner and his uh, coaching team to, to kind of pick up on. Sometimes that can be a good thing for a team. It can be the kick up the ass that you need to, to improve when you take on some of the bigger opposition like Arsenal. So surely they won't be as tetchy maybe as they were at the weekend. Yeah, I think you could see maybe the the intensity of what it would have meant for them to meet to reach a first domestic cup final in the game against Brighton. But that being said, I think we've maybe started to see a slight decline in their in their performances and form, which is perhaps to be expected. Mark Skinner isn't a manager who particularly rotates his team very much, and I think you know as you get towards the end of the season, obviously your players start to get a bit more tired. Teams start to figure out how you're going to play if you're playing the same starting eleven every week. And I think that's something that, that we have seen in, in some of their recent games. Um, but equally, like, there's no more motivation than, than obviously facing Arsenal at home. 
you say about the United and the fact that Skinner doesn't really rotate his team. He hasn't really had the bench, I suppose, for a lot of the year to rotate too much in terms of the players. But you also look at Arsenal going into this game and the sort of players that they're missing. Which team do you think going into tonight is probably suffering a little bit more from either Skinner's classic team that he likes to stick with or the fact that Arsenal haven't really been able to have the team that they want for most of the season? Yeah, Arsenal's injuries this season have been atrocious and it's kind of amazing they're even in this position. But that being said, I actually feel like coming off the incredible sort of end of February, March that they had winning the Continental Cup, uh, coming from behind to not buying out of the Champions League, uh, the win against Man City again coming from behind. It feels like regardless of uh, the things that have gone against them uh, in terms of injuries that Jonas Eidevel has built this a very impressive collective who I feel like are coming together in a way that, that we haven't seen. It feels like they're peaking at this point in the season, whereas I feel like Manchester United, they're almost on, on the other end of the trajectory and it feels like there are the players there for Skinner to bring in if he wanted to. It's just almost like he doesn't quite trust them yet, um, which is fine, I guess, but maybe when you need to freshen stuff up, that's when you would like to be turning to your bench. In terms of the players who he could bring in, who would be the sort of player that you would like to see him bring in? Well, I guess a Wilderboer Risa is a name who uh, has been looked at a lot. Um, obviously, she kind of plays in, in the midfield area, which is quite fixed. You've got Casey Zellum, you've got Ella Toon. Um, she was brought in to play in that more central role with Ella Toon playing on the right wing uh, against Brighton in the WSL, um, which I'm not really sure was a solution. Equally, Lucia Garcia is a player who I think has looked amazing every time she's played, but she's kind of been rotated in and out with Nikita Paris. Um, hasn't really had an opportunity there to, to nail down her spot. Um, so they're just a couple of players who I think it'd be interesting to see if they were used more, but definitely it feels like Skinner knows who he wants to play and how he wants them to play. Um, and as I say, I don't think that has to be a problem. It's just when you're looking at whether teams have kind of, I think we saw this against Brighton in, in the semi-final, you know, on is obviously a fantastic player. I'm not saying like she shouldn't start, but I think you could see how Brighton were like, right, we're just going to do a man marking job on her and really try and limit the the opportunity he gets going forward. Viat Sari doing a fantastic job for large portions of the game there. They're the issues that I think arise when you're using the same eleven again and again. Uh, Jesse, the fixture scheduling has been something that's cropped up in, in press conferences across the season. And Jonas Eidevel is quite keen to, to stress it this week especially. So we mentioned Arsenal, of course, in, in action tonight. But then they have the, uh, the trip to Wolfsburg away on Saturday in that Champions League semi-final first leg. Um, whereas Chelsea, they play last Sunday and they have that gap until until this weekend when they are at home against Barcelona at Stamford Bridge. Uh, does he have a point? I'd I make saying it's very odd. He finds it very odd that the scheduling sees uh, sees Arsenal and Chelsea um, with very different weeks. I mean, but equally, you could say Chelsea play on Saturday in their first leg and Thursday in their second, whereas mm. Arsenal play on Sunday and then the bank holiday Monday. So, look, I think across the course of the season, teams are going to have moments where they feel like they've got very quick turnarounds between games they're going to have moments where they look at the opposition and think you know it's unfair that they've got more more or less prep uh, man united could say they're frustrated because arsenal have had didn't won in the fa cup semi-final so they had a whole week to prepare coming off the back of the international break whereas manchester united to prepare for the brighton game and then this one look over the season i think generally these things work out and ultimately it's kind of a privilege if if you're arsenal that you've got these extra games uh 
in the calendar because because you've reached this point. And I think really you've got to 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 rise to that occasion, even if it means things get tougher in the league because you've got these extra games scheduled in. You mentioned the Arsenal injuries. Um, Chelsea haven't been fully lucky themselves. Millie Bright being one of those ahead of the Barcelona game that you're looking at taking what might have been, but but they'll be looking to banish demons against Barcelona. It's probably one of these uh, mouth-watering ties that we wanted to see, but Chelsea fans, I'm sure, will will have nightmares thinking about Barcelona. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. Um, obviously, the the loss in the Champions League final in 2021, uh, four goals conceded in the first half, is is one of the more brutal performances that uh, I've ever had to see sit through uh, a team the team deal with. And and Chelsea, you know, they they've not had it easy at all. Obviously, knocking out Leon, the holders of the Champions League, to get to this point, only to have to face the the previous holders in Barcelona, who obviously reached the final last year as well. Um, it's going to be very very tough for them. Uh, no Millie Bright, probably no Kadisha Buchanan either. So I think we're definitely going to be looking at a makeshift centre-back pairing. Equally, there's been a lot of injuries in attack. You know, Panila Harder potentially back. We saw her on the bench in the in the game against Villa in the FA Cup at the weekend. Um, but still no Frank Kirby and kind of no update on, on whether we might even see her this season. So... Chelsea, it, it's been tough. I think they've they've struggled with injuries almost as much as Arsenal have, to be honest. Um, but, you know, I, sometimes I think Emma Hayes gets the, the most out of her team when their backs are against the wall. Um, it's going to be tough, I think, to beat Barcelona over the two legs. Maybe in, if it was a one-off game, you, you might give Chelsea a chance. Um, but to have to go to the Camp Nou for the second leg, uh, it will be some experience, but <laughs> I don't know if it will be a good one. <laughs> Jesse, can you tell me, like you say, it's going to be difficult and I totally agree in terms of doing it over the two legs against Barcelona, but they probably would have said the same thing against Leon. And I mean, that second match, like what was going through your head watching it? I Like I was watching it from behind my fingers. It was so <laughs> intense. And like, I've never had so many messages about a like women's soccer before ever. I was like, all my friends who don't even normally watch it were just like, this is so intense. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be one of the more amazing games that I've ever been to. Uh, I was at Stamford Bridge and I, you know, had fully just accepted that Chelsea were down and out and and it was all over because it felt like Chelsea's whole game plan was just to defend the 1-0 lead from the first leg. As soon as Leon scored, it felt like the writing was on the wall. I never saw Chelsea, you know, coming and getting a, a goal in, in open play. And Emma Hayes basically said as much after the match but then obviously the the penalty decision the fact that it became the last kick of the game and everyone was being sent away you had no real sense in the the ground of what was going on I don't know if that was different if you were watching from home but I think there was just general confusion obviously you know the the ice cold mentality from Aaron Mielda to step up and score and send its penalties but um yeah obviously you it's it's hard when you look at these things. On the one hand, I feel like, oh, have Chelsea used up all their miracle moments <laughs> from the Champions League in that in that game, or or do you start to think, oh, there's you know something weird going on. There's something a bit special going on here. Um, I think the difference is is that the the Leon team Chelsea are facing are a Leon team who've also struggled with injuries this season, who I don't think have played anywhere near their peak nowhere near their level whereas Barcelona despite obviously missing Alexia Pateas for most of the season we've really seen them I think wind themselves up and get get into really good form maybe at the start of the year we saw them be a bit shaky they did lose to Bayern Munich in the group stage but their recent performances have just been back to peak Barcelona Aitana Bomati has more than stepped into Alexia's shoes uh, in in her absence, and yeah, they're just such a relentless team. To have to face them over 180 minutes is 
I honestly don't know if there's any team in in Europe right now who could who could come out on top there. But hey, that's why we watch football because yeah. sometimes the things you think are going to happen, they they just don't. Yeah, you can never write Chelsea off. And just to mention Sam Kerr as well, like she's really on form at the minute. We feel that she's probably in the main driving force for Chelsea. Yeah, definitely. I think it's been an interesting season for Kerr. She's not scored as many goals as we've seen her do in past seasons for Chelsea. But I think the goals she has scored have been incredibly important. You think back to to the equaliser at at the Emirates against Arsenal in January, uh, the goal against United as well uh, in March. And I feel like it will be very interesting to see how Barcelona try and deal with her because they're a team that like to push their centre-backs forward and Kerr's a player who thrives when she has that space to run into. Games on two big pitches as well, Stamford Bridge and Camp Nou, obviously. Um, so I feel like Chelsea Chelsea will think, you know, if they're going to have their opportunity, uh, it will come through Kerr. She's not always a player who, even though she's an incredible goal scorer, is someone who you absolutely rely on <laughs> to score the chances she takes. And it's very strange thing she can score this absolute worldie and then sometimes she'll miss something that that you feel like it it should be an easy one she had a one-on-one against Hannah Hampton uh, in the Villa game at at the weekend and and missed so Chelsea I think will be hoping that uh, she's on she's on peak form Um, but obviously you know in in the international break she she got a rest in that Australia game against Scotland Uh, then she was just absolutely immense in England against England inflicting their their first defeat obviously under Wiegmann so feels like she's in a good place right now. What's the blueprint for stopping Sam Kerr, Jesse? Because as Republic of Ireland fans, we're looking towards the, that opening World Cup game, Australia against ourselves on the 20th of July and, and really nervous sweats trying to think about how, how that Irish defence can stop her. Yeah, I think I could make a lot of money if I had a good blueprint. <laughs> I think her movement's just like absolutely incredible and that's I somehow defenders have to try try and deal with that. I've spoken to defenders before who say that you just think you've got a ball coming in and it's just like her her movement and the way she jumps in the air suddenly like she's she's beyond you and 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 she's gone. Um I think the key is probably dealing with the the players who are going to play those balls in in behind. You know, when when you're looking at Chelsea team, it's how do you deal with Guru Wrighton so she's not in a position to put that cross into the box, to play that ball over the top to Kerr. And and that's ultimately the key. Like, she's such a a ruthless striker that in some ways I think you've got to cut her off at the source rather than worry too much about what she's actually doing. What did you make of this whole um, debacle over the the FA Cup final tickets, uh, Jesse? Because it's a bit of a strange one. We've had 65,000 tickets issued, 50,000 are neutral uh, that have sold out, and the clubs are only getting a a handful of 8,000 each. Now, when you compare that to the men's FA Cup final, each club gets around 30,500 tickets for for the two clubs that are involved. Seems like a strange split of the stadium. It does, and I think it does when you compare it specifically to the men's FA Cup final, but I think it's really important to remember that you know, the women's game is still growing Mm. and we're looking at having a sold out Wembley for an FA Cup final for the first time ever. You know, when you're looking at the Chelsea City FA Cup final from last season, I think we we saw like 50,000 tickets sold. So there's been a massive increase and and interest. Obviously, I'm sure the fact that United having Ella Toon, Mary Earps, Alessia Russo only adds to that interest given how popular the Lionesses have become within England. And I think it's also important to bear in mind that you know, when we're talking about men's teams, these are these are the clubs that sell out 30, 40, 50,000 seater stadiums themselves every week, whereas Chelsea's allocation is double what they could fit in Kings Meadow. And they only sell out Kings Meadow a handful of times a season. So I think when you take it in that context, um, 
it feels like quite a lot of tickets mm. for each team. I think the thing that would have been maybe interesting, uh, which I saw someone suggest, which is that to maybe give a bigger allocation but have a deadline, so that if those tickets through clubs aren't being sold, there is the opportunity for neutrals to go. Um, it, women's football does have a different fan culture, and I think that's something that that should be celebrated. Um, and and having more neutral fans there, I think, can be seen as a good thing, providing that the the fans of the clubs who are in the final can can get their tickets and can be be within their groups um but equally i think it, it's something that's that's understandably a learning process given how much the the changing fandom you know how much fandom has changed within within england specifically as well since since they won the euros considering the run-in of games that the top four teams at the moment have jesse who do you think is first going to win the entire thing and who is going to get those Champions League places for next season? No pressure. <laughs> so, and I will be replaying this when it comes <laughs> yeah, to the last exactly. weekend of May. <laughs> Clip this one up. Um, I do think it's hard to look past Chelsea uh, in terms of winning it. I feel like they've got probably the easiest running in terms of it's the games are in their hands and realistically the biggest challenge will, will be Arsenal but it is a home game um, the only thing that I think will be interesting is how much these Barcelona games might affect them they would be looking to win the league for the fourth time in a row it's understandable that Emma Hayes probably cares a lot more about the potential of winning the Champions League than she does winning another WSL title um, but equally I think if they go out of the Champions League they will say well we, we'd like to take a domestic double in the FA Cup final and the WSL still the Champions League spots I really have no no idea and I think tonight could give us a big clue I think if either Arsenal or United was to lose you would suddenly think or maybe it could be one of those teams to drop out because again it just becomes that impetus thing and I think what the reason why part of the reason I think Chelsea are, are favourites is because they've been there and done that before in terms of just like pushing on, like you see them put wins, eight, nine wins in a row to win leagues in the past seasons. For all three of City, Arsenal and United, it's going to come down to, I think, like who doesn't let it get to their heads. Um, I think Arsenal probably have a, a good shot of, of getting Champions League. And equally, if they win tonight, I think they'll feel like, obviously, if they beat Chelsea, they they could win the league too. Um, so I do wonder if it'll be one of the Manchester teams to miss out. But I'm going to fully sit on the fence here and say I've got no clue at this point which one it will be. Smart answer. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Jesse, I'm really sorry to bring it up. I really, really am. But as a Chelsea fan <laughs> last night, how do you feel about the the start of the Frank Lampard tenure part two? Uh, yeah, um, it's been a it's been a weird couple of weeks, and I think last night kind of summed up Chelsea's whole season in that uh, you know there were some real positives in the performance, great energy, good chances in front of goal, can't score any of them, uh, end up end up losing. Obviously, um, the Frank Lampard appointment's weird. I don't think it's had the effect that. Uh, the the ownership thought it might have. I mean, I guess Chelsea sort of looked better potentially against Real Madrid, but equally Graham Potter's probably his best managerial performance came against Dortmund in the second leg uh, of the of the round of sixteen game. So, and now you just look at the rest of the season and you're like, okay, Lampard's not going to be there beyond the end of the season. What what's his role with this team? Like, what what is the aims? You know, the leagues 
I mean, what is the league? It's like we can finish 10th or 12th. Great. Um, I don't know how Lampard motivates such a, a big squad. I guess, you know, the development of some of the younger players will, will be his focus. But yeah, just pretty frustrating to be sitting in the in the middle of April and, and feel like the season's very, very much gone. Yeah, we'll wait and watch with bated breath to see what Lampard can do with this Chelsea team between now and the end of the season regardless. Uh, Jesse, great stuff. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. That's Jesse Parker Humphreys from the Counter Press Podcast, 9.35am on Wednesday mornings at OTBM. Kathleen, thank you very much for thank everything this morning. Thank you for having me, guys. And Ashley, thanks a million thank for Jane. everything this morning. Across the morning, uh, OTBM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. On- OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.